The Coco Nation show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 346. How is everybody doing today? Hold, No kidding. <laughs> oh, look at that! We managed to get up to twenty degrees. <laughs> We're at minus six, twenty-five five. Fahrenheit here, so yeah, negative eleven. You're so, so negative. <laughs> that reminds me, I better go close the freezer door. Um, all right, let's see. Oh, I needed to hit one more button over here. Okay, how about that one? Does that button uh, make the show any better? Uh, no, it, put, it, it puts a screen, all your, your screen. Your, uh, I think somebody permanently disabled that button. It's yeah. brightness, but we don't know. That one makes all of the Hollywood squares all match on everyone's screen. So it looks like the big boys along. are on top. Yeah. Let's see. Upper left. Yeah, that's left. Left, left, left hand corner. Um, yours truly, the monkey button. Monkey whatever <laughs> the, monkey but, but, <laughs> the monkey button monkey. is that monkey. the button that you had to press earlier the monkey button <laughs> that's right i've never seen you mess up your own name that's, uh, right. that's new. <laughs> i'm on a roll today that's for sure all right uh it's because it's frozen <laughs> cold uh let's see next over terry Stiggy. hello coco nation and marco hey there glad to be here and Ron Delvo. Maybe one of the countries in the nation. Hi. All right. And we got Henry Gernhardt. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Coco Nation. And Ooh, Rick Leland. Howdy, folks. I can stop shoveling now. Woohoo! That's right. You guys can come in and stop shoveling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. Alan, you're up next. Howdy, howdy. And no, we're about to start shoveling. It's just not snow. That's right. <laughs> ah, <ooh. laughs> Virtual shovel. Uh, Ken Waters. Audi from sunny Vancouver. Okay. Oh, it's and sunny then, here. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's sunny here. It's freezing, but it's sunny. Just ran out of degrees, right? Let's see. Next over, we got uh, Jason. Howdy, howdy. It's cold here, but not as cold where Curtis is, and we're still in positive numbers if you're in Fahrenheit, but Negative if you're in Celsius, but either way, I've got Diet Dr. Pepper. Isn't and I'm that ready frozen? To go. 
It's yeah. not frozen. I kept it inside. Put so it outside it, and see how long it takes to freeze. I, I don't. I want it. I don't want the can to burst. So <laughs> it's uh, thirty it's seconds good. here. You can just toss the can open. It'll turn into you know frozen droplets right. of Dr Pepper. <laughs> Have a diet yeah. Dr Pepper sickle. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter if it's Fahrenheit or Celsius. It's still damn cold. Yeah, you reach a certain point, and it's just like it, Fahrenheit or Celsius. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that point is negative forty degrees. Kelvin. Let's see. All right, where were we? Okay, Bob Emery. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the Coco Nation. Bob, you and... got Zoom on your Coco? <clears throat> Bob's trapped Here. in a monitor. <laughs> <laughs> but but doesn't have a door. It does. It does. It does. But it's a fancy monitor labeled. That's why he's just staying in there to guard it. <laughs> he starts glitching like Max. Looks like Kami equipment. Yeah, this was gonna say it doesn't look like a CM8. Um, okay, let's see. Next over, we got Frederick Sigard. Hello, Cigar, it's Sigar. a it's a cool zero degree Celsius. All right, hmm. and L Critters Boyle. Welcome from frigid Saskatchewan, where it's minus thirty two Celsius, minus twenty five Fahrenheit, but we're not doing as bad as Edmonton. I hear they're supposed to hit minus fifty one without the wind chill tomorrow. Or tonight, and minus mm-hmm. sixty four with the wind chill. Ooh, and, and, and at that point, it doesn't matter if it's C or F. I don't care. <laughs> well, they're having problems even getting planes to land and come in because they can't can't get them going again. So they're having a lot of canceled right. flights right now. It's pretty bad. So what do you do okay. if you have an electric car and it's that cold? Uh, it still make... charges. You just it reduces the amount of battery life. You get right. like a Tesla might get five hundred kilometers in a normal summer charge, and only gets three hundred on minus. 40. And and the electric goes out. <laughs> well, yeah. if the electric goes out, well, then you're in trouble no matter what, right? Yeah. <laughs> Have fun operating the till. Um, I think gas. you burned the car. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, actually, the Tesla battery kind of does that on its own, doesn't it? Nope, yeah, 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 it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is warm. Temperature of the area. All right. Down to the bottom row, we got Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. And Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? And yeah, the other Kansas City fan, Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody. Yep, we'll be playing the uh, one of the coldest NFL playoff games in history. It's going to be uh, negative 30, 35. And you're going to be looking that's... for that tornado there? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> nope. That's just an average gray cup. I don't know what's so special about that. Sure. <laughs> Grant's always negative. Yeah. And the, uh... the snowball. And the Wisconsin team was going, ah, you guys. Right. Yeah, yeah, cool. we're, way playing, colder. we're playing Miami is what we're playing, so they're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, Miami might have a problem. Yeah. We need to stop they're used to a whole different kind of snow there. It's a, they'll, well, right? they'll just light a bunch of fires in the parking lot and stuff, and they'll they'll figure it out. Uh, if you've ever been Tesla's in a Miami riot, you're good. And last but not least, we got Nick Marenti's where it is. Tomorrow. Hot as hell, well, isn't it? Well, being on the the bottom of the globe, we're closer to the flame. It's a little <laughs> bit warmer. Uh, we're expecting thirty two degrees Celsius here, so it's a bit thirty two. So that's about ninety degrees Fahrenheit for those who. Yeah, so being yeah. closer to the Plus, flame, I should say. Being closer to the flame, we get warmed up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be worse. You could be in Florida summers. Those get to forty degrees. Oh, we no, he's been well that. above 40. Yeah, we get to that too, but today's a yeah. cool day. It's an astronomical <laughs> fact, you know. 
<laughs> we, we are closer to the sun in the winter. Right. Yeah, now, let's the see. angle. Let me mm -hmm. scroll back in the chat here and see who has joined us there. We got Exile in Paradise, Marco, Tim Franklin, some mystery user on Facebook, Sixy, Jim Rye, Julian Brown, 8 Bits in the Basement, TJB, Chris, and I love that intro of yours. Um, the Breaky, Tom Eric Gunderson, Kevin Holloway, I said him again, Mike, Michael Ziffel, uh, Cooking Man, Scott Cooper, uh, Frank Linharts is in, Chris Jerry's. Is that the right way to spell that? Pronounce that? Uh, let's see, du, 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 du. Dave and Sharon Veery, Tom Eric Anderson, and the list goes on and on and on. All right, first up today, Brian, let's see, we'll do project updates, but Brian, no, actually, first up, we'll do, let's see, what name did I come up with this? Uh, Wizarding Warehouse of Wonders. I believe it's called an Intervention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so far, uh, it's not working. It's it's come to this. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> so, do you have a graphic mark, or are you just looking for a title for the? Uh, <clears throat> if I can hit Ron the right number one. of buttons here, there we go. There we Try go. the monkey now, button. Now we got the right ones. Brian, you're <laughs> up. What do you got? Uh, a few things here. Um, the first thing that I wanted to. Uh, uh, to share with the folks is uh, just a little update. Uh, the last time I shared some things, uh, we were talking about um, the number jack um, and uh, the fact that I had uh, got a got a cable, the ribbon cable from a guy, and we were trying it out live on the show. And <laughs> I feel a little silly now after I figured out the problem because we were having some weird mm -hmm. issues there where we were trying the cable in different orientations and stuff. And so I just wanted to follow up and say that I did figure out the problem and it didn't really dawn on me until I, I don't know, I just happened to be looking at it and then I slapped myself on the forehead. The shift key on the number jack was sticky. And so when I was trying to type in <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, because of the shift, I was getting the symbol that was above the, the respective oh. key. And so it, it wasn't even dawn on me. So some keys it was getting at some keys. It's like the, the shift key was like bouncing. Cause sometimes I would get a number and sometimes I wasn't. And so I kind of took my finger and kind of wrapped on the shift key a little bit and then it was working consistently. So we had it hooked up right the first time. Um, the shift <laughs> key was just acting a little weird. So I wanted to kind of follow up with folks there. That, uh, and, and just for people who may not have seen that episode, the number Jack was a uh, HDL product, which was a, a numeric keypad you could plug into your Coco along with their HDL keyboard as well. And it always yeah. had an external cable and stuck off to the side. So you, if you were an accountant or you ran Spectaculator all the time, you were set. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it had, as Curtis said, it had a ribbon cable, and then it went to a little card that had the keyboard connector on it, and you you would take out the keyboard, plug this little card into where the keyboard would plug in, and then you'd plug your keyboard into it, and it was just it was kind of uh, wired in parallel with the keyboard. So, um, and uh, no, so I just wanted to kind of follow up with that one there. So, um, no technical. <laughs> <laughs> troubleshooting there just a little something of that one so anyway um so then the next thing i'd like to do here is uh to kind of get into the reason why uh i wanted to uh, uh come onto the show this uh today and uh let me uh first 
let me uh, switch cameras here. And uh, are there will... 12 steps to this presentation? No, nope, I don't think so. No, but we'll find out here. Okay. I'm meeting Jason. So the first thing I want to show you guys is Quasar Commander. We've all seen that one before. I'd also like to show you Skiing. And I'd also like to show you Music. That one and looks like it's still wrapped. It is. It's actually in the wrap. I'd also like to show you Dino Wars. Okay. And uh, let's see. I'd also like to show you Color Cubes. Okay. And lastly, I'd like to show you Color Scripts It. Remember. Does anybody know cube. what... Yep. Does anybody know what all of those have in common? I do. Ooh, I do. I do. They're for Raider Shack. Cartridges? The Raider Keyboard overlays. Yep. I said uh, it first. Yep. Nick, Nick, or who got, who said it first? I did. Okay. And what was that again? Robert Kilgus. Robert Kilgus. Um, he was a programmer um, back in the early days there with, with, uh, with Tandy and Raider Shack there and uh, doing a lot of the games and everything. And uh, what I want to show you guys today is, uh, um, something that, uh, that, uh, that Robert had, and I'll, there's more of a story to it. And, um, I'll share that here after we get a little bit further down the road, but let me back up the camera here. So color script, it is a game. Color script is a game. Yes. <laughs> so under the blanket here is what I want to show you guys here. And, uh, we'll take a look at it there and we'll go from there. It's white. It's white. It's a white cocoa one. It's a Very white, white with a red sticker. No, 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 no. It's got it's got the Coco three keyboard on it. No, not, not quite. Over. It's got the black background, not the yeah. gray one. So it's well. Look at, look at the layout, though. Look at your layout. That's that's a Coco three layout. Same layout. Well, yeah, but, but it's yeah. the deluxe keyboard. It's not. Yeah. The oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, because it has that, the black. That may be the, background. the deluxe yeah. computer. Let's take the cover off here. You guys want to see? What? Oh, is it a prototype? That's pretty. Power splash, right by the keyboard. Why does is this there... look familiar, Boise? It's, so, <laughs> it's almost an F board, but not quite. Mm. Yep. It's, it's a bit watching... more populated than an F board. Yeah, how many yeah. chips are on there? If Boise's watching, he'll know exactly what this is. And hopefully we will too before we all die from suspense. So it's got <laughs> well, a, a couple... zero port on it. I'll give you a hint. Take a look at the back. There's this yeah. here. It's got a real serial port. There's this here. There's a real serial port. Yes, there is. Is there a sound chip? It has there, to be there. a deluxe Coco. What was the prototype of that? Pause it in. Do we so have is, that, there, is that stereo jacks over there? No, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a composite and a video, or a composite and an audio jack on the back of this thing here. Like a three. Also got a little bit of a uh, little bit of bodge wires going on in here too, and then an interesting set of ROMs along the top here. Aha! So a couple people have already blurted out the answer. Yeah, yes, I, this I, is this is an actual Coco Deluxe, and nice. uh, Boise um, is fortunate to have two of them in his collection. Oh wow! Um, and uh, nice. uh, Boise, um, uh, he has he has two as well. Um, his has a little bit different. I think he has a daughter board, but his has a little bit different. Uh, uh, board on it, and I think he just has a different ROM on it. This one happens to be populated here. So, um, what's the boot up screen look like? 
Are you well, going to well, dump? I, we're, we're working on we're working on uh, this machine here. Um, it's a mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a slow steppy process here because we're trying to we want to make sure that uh, we understand what we're doing and we don't cause any other damage to this machine. So, um, but we wanted to at least show the machine here and uh, kind of talk about it a little bit. So somebody said a sound chip, and right there, this is an AY3 sound chip right there and oh, this nice. here would be your serial chip there this is the uh 6551 6551 serial so trying not to lose the keyboard here see if i can tip this up just a little bit so if you've seen any of boise's pictures uh you've seen this before here so you still got your your two joystick ports so they do support two buttons yep and uh you have the uh you have your your serial and your cassette uh, the the regular the traditional serial port that the Coco had, yeah, and then you have the you, then you have the nine the nine pin serial, nice. this little dinky switch right there. That is the channel selector. It's much much smaller. Uh, you got the RF, and then you got what looks a lot like the ones that we see on the Coco three. And it's still red and white. Still the, the still colors are still wrong, right? <laughs> well, that's, and, because, uh, that's because it's cheap. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, that one of the other things that Boise kind of talked about is is the Radio Shack because they use this case here and had the entry, they pretty much just lopped off all <laughs> the little, just lopped off all yeah. the just, some guy with a Dremel tool sitting at the end of the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the case yeah. they used yeah. for the prototypes was literally the 64K color computer from September of 83, if you guys remember the cover cover of Rainbow, yeah. which Coco is a full size Coco one with 64K. They just carved out the back to fit the extra ports. They and I always find extras of those left over. <laughs> I always find this interesting too. A lot of times when you send a machine in to be serviced, they'll write something on the back here. But this says mm -hmm. it looks like uh, looks like C A two, and then five uh, twenty of eighty three. And also two uh, might be kind of hard to see, but uh, right right down here it says uh, it says Tandy, and it says nineteen eighty three right here as well on the on the board right here, and it says made in the USA. Um, Got the processor, uh, the 74, uh, 783, and Same. it has uh, two, two PALs in it. So there's a 6822 and a 6821. And we already and then also, then here's your, uh, the, uh, the 60, uh, 6874 P is in this one here. Um, it has some other chips that are kind of, uh, interesting too, that, uh, we don't, haven't fully, uh, understood yet what they're doing, but, uh, one's a buffer chip. Like a, a read, not really a buffer. It's kind of a read. What's a programmable read memory? I think is what it was. It was like two. What was it? Uh, is it a PAL? It might be like a PAL type chip. Yes. And and then there's also this one here that uh, I'm not sure. 64k of memory. Under What's that number on the chip. Uh, tan board is the gimme chip. No, there's no gimme <laughs> chip. No, under I right know. There. No. <laughs> but there is. Like if this had come out, we probably wouldn't have had a gimme chip. There is a locked yeah, off true. post on this thing right here. So right here would be that that center screw that you know the Coco ones would have. That's been locked yeah. off right mm -hmm. there. So because it's like they took the white Coco ones and they just uh, and uh, um, just use this case to uh, is that plugged uh, into it? And Linda wants to see board? the bottom. Yep. Uh, the bottom looks just like any other uh, Coco. No stickers at all. I, I don't. The, the keyboard's not screwed down, so I don't want to try to flip things and have something something tear. But uh, um, but yeah, the, the bottom looks just like it's just a just plain white, no no stickers or anything like that. It, uh, top was that way too, so I assumed. Yep, and the top was that way. Um, and there is this little sticker right here which says uh, eight fifty two. Probably and, a control. Um, 
And in oh. one of uh, and in Boise's blogs, he talks about the fact that his has a sticker, but it's a little different and a little different number. So I don't know if that was a serial uh, number that they had for tracking, you know, or unit right, number. The, the, the infamous asset control tag, right? Yep. Does that board on the on top plug into a header on the motherboard? Well, this is where you, this is where the ROM would be. So if we had a single a single ROM like a thirty oh, okay. single thirty two k ROM, it would be right there. These yeah, the, are these are eight by uh, eight by eight ROMs. Right. So it's supposed to have like a sixty four k ROM or a thirty two k ROM, and they just doubled up with little. So with these are easy to burn, and this yep. is a prototype. Yeah. Are those socketed? Yeah, everything is socketed. Yeah, is there like a diagram is. online for that? No, this online. was never released, so nope. Oh, so they never released fine. the schematic, so those, Are those we mystery get chips. To reproduce it? <laughs> this would be cool to re, re reverse engineer. Yeah, reverse that would be this. that would be a lot of fun to reverse engineer. Did that have a did that have an MMU in it? I I was kind of not paying attention. I want to make sure I didn't miss no. that. No, no. It's no, so it was a, just a straight yeah. 64k with a SAM? It's Coco yeah, 2 with extra hardware. There, there is a little bit extra, which which is on a bit of paperwork that we got from Robert too. So okay. shortly, but um, does it have a real time clock? No, no. I was oh, so but disappointed. But uh, <laughs> does it say deluxe um, Coco on there anywhere? Does it? No, 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 no. Not even on the bottom of the motherboard. Nope. It no. hadn't been named yet at that time. I'm sure. This is just the thing. What's the Project bottom Z of the look like? A deluxe Coco would have been marketing, a marketing name anyway. Exactly. But, but at this point, it doesn't have a name. It's just the thing we're working on. Yep. <laughs> did they Next remove evolution? Did they remove stickers off of a Coco 2 or whatever? No, this, and, no, this no it's Coco 1. This is a Coco 1 case. And well, so this would have been one that they would have. Uh, so, like the Coco 1s that we see, which was the transition to the Coco right. 2. Um, that this that's all they did is, is is that candy was candy was just using surplus parts I think at this point here they had they yep. had the cases so and, they had the uh, cases before they put stickers on them well more so importantly they had the mold for that case so if you're gonna yeah, make exactly. a bigger board make a board that fits in a mold you already own and they own yeah. that the, mold the deluxe so, would have been big enough it would have been like the old Coco one size case not a Coco two size case because yeah, okay. of the extra chips extra hardware yeah so is this now, be the same size as the Coco four. There's pictures of with the, the Coco One box no, on the, the top. No, Coco One, the 64K color computer, as as Tandy officially called it, the white case 1983 yeah, one. Uh, uh, yes, it would have been the same size. Okay. Um, Is the Coco Four? No. Um, the Coco, the Coco well, Four yeah, was like yeah. a. Wasn't the Coco Four? No, the Coco Four was a like a Coco One well, case with they, the they, uh, with yes. the raised yeah, top there. Right. So. right. Oh, with the drives a, a bigger yeah. top. But then again, the top on this prototype was just cut out with the, the top. So they were going to make a new top anyway. So, have to, yeah. for this bottom, you know? yeah. Mark Siegel says that it was going to be called the Deluxe Color Computer. And it does Ooh. have lowercase. Yeah, it does have a T1 VDG. Mm -hmm. So was this to come out after the Coco 2? Yes. Okay. So what's the estimated worth of this baby? Priceless. Keep it. <laughs> yeah, both are correct. There are museums that will kill for it. But yes. yeah, this uh, this is obviously was a work in progress. Uh, there's a chip here that's actually mm -hmm. mounted upside down. Um, it's on a and piece bug. of uh, double sided yep, foam, yep. and it has all these different bodge wires. It's kind of hard to see in the on the camera here, but there's uh, all sorts of little cut traces. Um, there's cut traces on the bottom. There's bodge wires on the bottom. So uh, this was still somewhat in development. So did you get close up pictures of all this stuff to post? Not yet. No, this is. 
this is something that was uh, relatively uh, acquired just recently. So oh, okay. So uh, no, and, this is and, this uh, isn't something I've been sitting on for a year. So and close up so. pictures of all sides before somebody trembles and rips a bod wire out. I don't know yeah, where it really. came from. Document, <laughs> document, document. Oh, I'd love to see yeah. those high res pictures. Are you going fifty dollars more than a Coco two? Yes, this will be at Coco Fest. So, oh, um, good. Oh, so nice. if, you guys, if you guys do want to see it up up we close, can all personal, come through. Then, uh, then come come to Coco Fest, and also uh, we'll probably mention this several times. Um, come to Coco Fest because there's going to be other things too that maybe you haven't seen. Um, oh, are you bringing the Coco Four? As a little bit of a teaser, yeah, right. As a little bit of a teaser to uh, to come to Coco Fest to uh, to see some other things too that uh, maybe. Yeah, this uh, is what I've been teasing that there's going to be some very unique hardware that most people have not seen in person. This this is one of them, not all of them. This is just one of them. Cool. Maybe at this point here, I'll kind of give the short story of what happened. Um, Curtis had been in contact with um, Robert um, about trying to set up an interview with him, and they had been uh, trading emails back and forth. And in those discussions, uh, Robert indicated that he had some items that um, he had stored away um, and really didn't have the time or the energy to want to do any sort of listing. And he wanted this stuff to go into the community and uh, to be uh, uh, to be shared. And so this is Robert um, Kilgus, right? Yes, yep, Robert Kilgus. Okay. Yep. And so um, and he lives in Flint, Michigan. Uh, which is about a 12-hour drive for me. Um, but before uh, Curtis reached out to me, he had contacted some other other folks to see if there was yeah. any uh, interest there. I, I basically contacted Paul Thayer first because Paul lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so he's much closer. And uh, basically, Bob had all this stuff and some other stuff from his uh, wife as well in a storage unit, and he was trying to clean up the storage unit. His wife passed away recently, and he wanted to downsize. And... Uh, he just wanted to make sure everything went to a good home. So I contacted Paul Thayer, and Paul was going to go get this stuff because it was going to require a, a small U-Haul truck or something to haul it all. And unfortunately, when he went to his parents' place, because that's where he was going to be storing all the stuff because he doesn't have room at his place, he found out that all of his siblings were already storing stuff. And no room either. So that's when I... Uh, Curtis, you're breaking uh, up. Yeah, well, I was wondering if it was me. I'm sorry. Let's move it over here. I keep pumping the cable. Did you guys catch that? No, no. Side again. No, nope, nope, nope. Okay. The last last ten seconds. <laughs> well, basically, uh, Paul found out that his his siblings were storing stuff at his mom's place already, and she had no room to hold a truckload worth of stuff. So basically, I then called Brian up, and it it took a little bit of negotiating because Brian was quite busy at the time, but we did manage to get uh, everything set up, and um, Brian actually managed to go down there and actually meet Robert and visit with him for a while too, as well as getting all this stuff. So. Yeah, he's a very, uh, very generous, very proud man. Um, he was very, very close to his wife. I mean, pretty much the, the two of them were joined at the hip. That's uh, They were each other's lives. And um, so uh, he enjoyed sharing the stories about him and his wife and things that they've done. So he's a, he's a very interesting man. He's done a lot of interesting things over his life. And uh, hopefully when uh, Curtis uh, gets the opportunity to interview him, uh, maybe some of those things can be... Uh, uh, documented and uh, yeah i'll, I'll mention a couple of things there ken, ken and i are going to go try to visit robert for an interview uh on thursday before coco fest and then come straight to coco fest from robert's place uh with you know the interview we'll, we can talk about that at the time 
And also uh, from interviewing Robert over email, as it was before Brian picked all this stuff up, um, he gave me a bit of the background story on Dino Wars and how the digitized uh, roars and stuff were done. If you go to the Dino Wars uh, page on my games webpage, I've got the full story as well as a memorial to his wife on there as well, which just came straight from Robert. I'll give you a little bit of the background about how close they were. Yeah, and so um, so with that, he, uh, he he so when I met him there, it was kind of interesting because uh, he had he had kind of a rough list of some items that he that he had, and this was in a box that you might just think would be any Coco One box. And so when I was we visited, he made me some lunch, and we sat there and visited for about an hour or so, and then we went and uh, picked up the stuff. And as he's handing it to me. Um, he, he has a few health issues. And so I didn't want to spend all afternoon opening up every box. Um, cause I wanted to give an opportunity to get back home and rest and stuff. So as he was handing me boxes, I just happened to open the lid. It's like, Oh, okay. A white cocoa one, put it on the, on the truck. And, uh, um, uh, then proceeded to load up some other stuff. And it wasn't until later, um, after I had left and uh, we were looking at this here that, um, I opened the box up again and then I lift the cover up and, uh, um, uh, we saw, we saw what it was. And there are, uh, there are some people that are helping, uh, with this project. Um, if it's okay, if I mention that, um, uh, so Curtis and Tim Linder and, uh, Robert, uh, uh Alan, Alan, their, uh, Exile in Paradise, uh, the four of us are kind of working on this as a, as a project. And so we we hope to uh, discover every th secret that this thing has and have more to share with you guys and uh, definitely have something to share with you at Coco Fest. So uh, we're working on this and uh, we hope to be able to share more as we uh, as we further understand this machine. Would it help to look at the two that um, uh, what's his name has? What's his name? Boise. Boise. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how closely his machine. I think it's very close, but uh, I think in one of his pictures, this uh, this chip right here, the one with the bodge wires and that's flipped upside down, I think his has that same um, has that same chip on it there. I think it he, I think he talks about it on one of his uh, uh, blog blog posts. So you're not going to be able to see those, or he's not going to help. I haven't reached out to him yet. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we just, we just literally started working on this uh, pretty heavily to figure out, you know, what's what's there. It's I will mention, and Brian can verify as well. It's a little bit flaky right now. You know, it's been sitting in a box for thirty look, years. Look at it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so sometimes it'll turn on, sometimes it won't, and you know that kind of thing. So I think Brian's well, going to try to figure out, you know, how to stabilize it first before we go full board. Were you able to get a picture mm -hmm. of the boot up screen though? We're working. We're we're working on that there. So it's well, it just, sounds like, like you get it. When it comes up, it's, it's just, it's just garbled. Sometimes it's just colored bars. Oh. It's kind of some of the same things that, okay. that we see people talk about, you know, when they post pictures out on Facebook there and we start leading people to say, you know, it might be ROM, receipt chips, things like that. And, okay. uh, and like, yeah, said, this, this is a prototype. It barely worked when they were working on it. So <laughs> you may be re on a few solder joints and things yeah. like yep. that, but uh, yeah, you got a good crew on it. So yeah, I mean, like a bunch of pictures. As an example, and, um, I can even just kind of like press down on these two caps right here and the relay will click and the machine will, will reset. So, <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, there, there's things that need to be looked at and, and I, and I want to take things in a very slow process. I just don't want to jump in and start hammering this thing here. Um, 
uh, it's not like, you know, if something happens to it, we have another one to fall back on. So, so, so um, they didn't have the typical glue on the bottom of those, huh? No. No. And so it might be a cold solder joint or it might just even be a, you know, a, a bad, bad cap. chip somewhere. Yep. I mean, the fact that he's getting a bit of a screen uh, you know, with patterns on it from the VDG means the VDG is, I'm pretty sure, is working fine. Yeah, Obviously, the power supply is working at least somewhat because it's powering up enough to get the screen output. But, but I think, uh, like Brian, I think you mentioned, like uh, when you when you did try to turn it on, like the RF is actually capable of giving the the picture of you know whatever crash state it's in. But I think the composite is not. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't been able to get any composite video, so I'm not sure. Let's see here. Let me do this here to see uh, some of the hardware guys that are on here. Let me see if I can get a little bit of a zoom in right here. So for those of you guys that are hardware guys, the, this circuitry right here, so there's a couple uh, couple RF pots, some caps, some transistors and stuff like that. This seems very reminiscent of some of the composite mods that, uh, that we typically see where there's those type of components there. I'm not sure if those are you that or maybe yeah. familiar with that type of well, stuff, if you would kind of agree. I wonder yeah, if they used, because yeah. uh, um, for the Cocoa One, they did have a, a composite mod available for the education market. There is a schematic on it. I wonder if it, how close it matches that area. Um, yeah, I mean, I can go look at that. And I, I do have one of those education machines too that have the uh, that have the uh, that composite board in place of the RF box there. So I can go look at that. Well, and also Ed Snyder, I think, kind of copied it as well. But um, yeah. Was Robert Kilgus a uh, um, hardware guy? Um, he was more. He was more. He was a programmer. So he was doing yeah. programming and development stuff for Radio Shack. Um, yeah, he did here City Model One and Three stuff too. He did their uh, disk scripts it for the Model Three as well. Let's right. See if I can. Uh, I can kind of zoom in a little bit here. We can kind of take maybe a little bit closer. Kind of. Maybe Actually, part of Disc Edtasm was him, too. If you yeah. know that little TRS-DOS mm -hmm. boot screen, that's a little real-time clock that uh, Ron put a picture up there. That's actually his work as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I did that just out of, you know, chance. <laughs> and there it was. <laughs> so right here, you can see the uh, where it says Tandy Corp there in 1983. Are now, all the chip the... Uh, dates okay, right in line with 83? Well, of course, uh, this thing no. was hand-built. <laughs> well, they did have the PCB made, but they obviously heavily modified it. Well, wasn't there, there was a number of these boards actually made, wasn't there, uh, Curtis, before they decided? Yeah, that was my understanding. Um, and Mark, Mark Siegel can verify that, that they actually had a fair number of the boards made. Um, these, these would have been pre-released. These would have been development boards when they were still, you know, tweaking the hardware and setting Slide up a couple over. couple choice developers to start writing on software for it. Yeah, the mystery chips. What are they? I know Microware had some, for example, because they actually did deluxe drivers, and those are actually available on the uh, Nitrous 9 uh, archive. I got um, another question. Did, did the molded uh, case have a little square in the back like uh, Coco 2s and 3s had where the power supply would sit? And is that one removed or ground off or well, this is literally the 64K color computer case. Like if you have the white 64K color computer, the full-size one, right? that's the exact case you got here, except this mm -hmm. is hand cut out to fit so the extra ports. Power supplies same. in a different spot, right? No, yeah. it should be the same as the 64K Cocoa. It's the same as, a, as like a, an F, the... It's an F-board case. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. 
Yeah, all the chip dates look like 83s. Now, for those of you that may may have a good eagle eyes here, you're probably going to notice that these are newer chips. Um, I was starting to do some troubleshooting, and I had swapped out all the RAM chips. So these are not the original ones that are in there. The original ones were the ones that, that have the uh, little Tandy logo on them and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Korean garbage in there. How dare yep. you? Yep. So these are gonna. I, I will be swapping them back out because I've identified that that's not the problem. I just haven't taken the time to. Um, what What is that TI chip? Is that just a gate or something? Let's see here. So one of the mystery chips. It's kind of hard to. I'm not sure. This is as close as my camera is going to get here. Sorry, guys. U yeah, twenty six yeah. there. So U twenty U twenty six and U thirty two are the two chips that are kind of uh, a little little different there. So what's the number on it? One is eighty two S one fifty three. Yep, that's that it's one. And it's then a Signetics. And then this one here, it's kind of hard to read there, but it's a it's T B P twenty eight. Let me uh, let me just move it so I can see a little bit here closer. Twenty eight eighty four. Let's see. I actually I actually have a picture of it. Let me uh, let me just look on my phone so I can read a little bit easier. I took a closer picture of it. Um, whoops, sorry. Let me keep my hand off the table here, guys. So you guys don't get dizzy cam going. Um, it's a TBP, so uh, Tango Bravo Paul, 28S42N. Hmm. It was a Texas instrument chip. And uh, I had a uh, – where was it at there? Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Hold on, standby. I had a thing up on the – was this the one here? No. Programmable wrong. Where is it at there? Oh, I lost my sheet that I had the. All right. Somebody uh, hit hit Google. It's yep. a programmable ROM from yep. Texas Instruments back in the day. So I had a I had a document. Probably somewhere. A Sorry. They probably have it set up as a decoder of some sort. Exactly. Some kind of data table kind of ROM decoder thing. Yeah. Like an address, some sort of an address decoder. How about the 153? Similar kind of I thing? I should know that one. I'm, that's just a gate, isn't it? Uh, no, it's an 82S. 153 from Signetics. Yeah, I don't see where I, I had the I had the sheet somewhere, but I, I can't find it now to tell you what it was. It was like a 256-word 8-bit chip is what it said something about uh, programmable read-only ROM or something like that, or read-only Oh, field array. programmable logic array. So they are putting together some logic based on a ROM table and this array. It's it's a gal-pal kind of thing made out of PLA, before they yeah. had those. Before they had PLAs, they made one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing with just a regular EEPROM at one point, just to address decode. It's a big waste right. of the EEPROM, but hey, it's cheap. Gets it done, yeah. If you already have them, already bought them. What did you think the EEPROMs were for? Well, those those two probably for at uh, some sort of address decoding. No, I mean the four in a row. Uh, that probably is, that, to hold the extra. That'd be like a basic ROM. Yeah, yeah those are just the... easily rewritable ROMs rather than the. the what do you think they mass contain? programmed ROM that would be in a commercial thing? These yeah, that kind of indicates that these are probably ROMs that maybe weren't quite ready for release yet. Like this might be an early version. Or might be seven more times. Or... Yeah. The fact that so there are any EEPROMs means you can erase them and rewrite them if somebody didn't update whoever was doing the ROMs. Right. So they were so software selectable or hardware? No, it takes all four to make 
the it, one. It takes oh, all really? Yeah. Probably yeah. added some extra basic to cover the serial port, the sound chip, oh, you know, okay. up, extra yeah. play commands. The extra keys extra, on the keyboard, yeah. you know, that kind that, of thing. That's the kind of thing I was asking. Well, if, yeah. if they're 8K yeah, ROMs, so the there's 32K there. Same as like the Coco 3. The board hmm. could be unplugged, and you, underneath you'd find the original oh, ROM socket. Two, yeah, yeah. So one or two sockets, depending. Yeah. Okay. So, in other words, the the final one will be a, a proper ROM. M might be one or two ROMs like the normal right. thing. Yeah, but yeah. this is an in-development one. So, yeah. it's a, a temporary one for prototyping. Yeah, this would have a single ROM right there, or a single ROM socket. There wasn't so a, you know, a, you know a, if a the tool. other two machines have that similar thing or no? Yes, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, the ones that the ones that Boise had. Yeah, I want to so, mention a couple of things. Mark Siegel's mentioned in the chat here too. He said uh, this is supposed to be fifty dollars more than the Coco Two. I don't know if he's talking about the manufacturing cost or the selling price. Um, I think they were talking about how much was it worth at that time. Okay, and he also said I had the only pre. Proto, the others were protos. So the ones that Boise has in this mm. one are, are prototypes. Like first Proper production prototypes. run type of thing. Did, yeah. did Mark say did Mark say he the only ones he had or he had at the time? He said I had the only pre-pro, others were protos. Okay. Okay. So he has this um, one that hasn't been all hacked up and tried to make running. I assume that means the Yeah, the now, first I'm, guess this board, if it hadn't been messed up, would be the one that Mark has. It has been cut slash. <laughs> well, and on the bottom of this board, though, because I have had the board out to, to look at the uh, on the bottom of this board, there is a number dash PP. Pre-production. Uh, you know, could pre-production yeah, pre there. So this may be a pre-production board here where it wasn't one of the final boards that they were working on. Yeah, they gotta... yeah and pre-production boards would have had to go to developers. Otherwise, they wouldn't have time to make software before the computer went on sale. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, as, as Pedro can probably uh, attest to, it takes a uh, a couple of runs to uh, get it down right. <laughs> so did I wonder if Robert said that that actively worked when he had it. I got to believe that it would have worked because, you know, they would have sent him a machine that that he could turn on and start. Yeah, to he wasn't a hardware way. guy, so they would have sent him something right. to develop software on. So they would it would have had to have worked at least somewhat. It might have been a bit buggy, like depending on how far the ROMs were. Right. Well, well did not he have any idea either. what the boot up screen looked like? There, yeah. we've, got, we've, we've talked to him a little bit and um he's his memory's fading a bit <laughs> right and he really didn't even he really didn't even remember this machine so oh okay it was just another work mule for to him it wasn't i just wanted he paid quite a few machines in his stash there so uh you know right, i'll let brian right. talk about that when he's ready for all the different pieces he got but cool this extended color basic 1.5 four Wow. Well, we don't, we don't, we, we don't know yet because we're, like I said, we're, right. we're, we're, liter we're, we're literally talking like less than a month worth of work at looking at this thing here. So, okay. so um, Boise doesn't know on his either. His, his had color basic ROMs in it and extended so, basic, I think, if I remember. Yeah. Right. Just so the standard ones that you normally get in a Coca One or Okay. Two. So, right. no, um, right. yeah. And I think that's extended. what was used to make the uh, MAME emulation for the, the deluxe is um there's a mapping for the regular coco roms so that you can you know boot up a deluxe and it will tell you it's not oh, a working right. machine yet and things like that and i think that that setup came from the roms that were on boise's board because at one mm -hmm. point i do remember him you can probably find it somewhere back in the discord i do remember him dumping those roms 
and you know checking them out and they were checksum the same as production cocoa roms so when he boot if when he he boots his up if it boots i don't know then it would just come up like color basic one point i think it was color basic 1.3 yeah probably extended basic 1.1 if you had that too uh, yeah and so hopefully mr kilgus's roms here have all of the good stuff in them and if we can put that in main that would be a party yeah, we we do have some information. Like uh, the Boise did manage to rescue the OS nine uh, driver discs, which included Dragons and Cocos and stuff like that. And we do have drivers that were made for the Deluxe. So Microware had some of these as well, and right. that actually yeah. tells you like where the uh, AY chip is mapped yeah. and where the RS two thirty two is mapped and all that kind of stuff. So and we have had some name and it works. Yeah. So you know, I I have some Coco PSG AY three code and some. Um, speech sound pack AY3 code. And I went through a while back and put in the addresses that were in MAME's Deluxe Coco emulation. And, you know, it made, <clears throat> it made noise. So what I'm hoping for is that we can do <laughs> that same thing on this one and have uh, that Different assembly <laughs> code go along with, uh, there's supposed to be basic commands or something for this. So- Well, I see possibly two different differences on the case the um embossing for the name is bigger isn't it and the um vents on the left side are all open well remember on the the deluxe mock-ups we've seen had a different top with the drive built in yeah so this top would just be because they have this top <laughs> we'll put it on now you can work with it but you know it's not going any further than that it's, you it's don't the think old... they opened up the vents on the left side there Oh, didn't the 64K Coco have the vents open there? I thought it did. I, did. I, think, yeah. I, think, I think a Coco One has, a white Coco One has those vents right there. Yeah. yeah. They, just, they just dug these out of the back and said, these are big because, enough. Um, <laughs> I just saw a picture of two model. Well, but remember, there would be a cardboard oh. shelf underneath you're, those vents so that you couldn't uh, drop things into the power supply on a production. You're, you're thinking so, of a small case um, Coco, uh, Ron? Yeah. No. Which yeah, has that left uh, side no. blocked. You so know like, the one, the picture of the one where uh, it's off color, it's kind of cocoa colored uh, model one. It was recently posted that somebody had maybe Lakari. That was a repainted cocoa one, wasn't it? Right. But the, it turned on the side was uh, two model one cocos and their vents aren't fully open. They're just. So, I, mean, I, th I think those are the regular cocoa ones. Though. I think it was just a gray one repainted, wasn't it? Because yeah. this, this yeah. was the one that Tandy made a separate brand new case for the white one for the 64k color computers they called it that's what the label actually said 64k color computer so, on it so on both of my uh, coco ones gray case yeah uh the left hand vents are open oh, on both yeah. styles where the f board style as well as the d board style okay and i know and i know this is open because that the, the coco cooler that i had shown here yeah. also yeah, really attached oh, to cool off. It, it, yeah. it attached right here well how about the other side is that open too yes yeah these are all open Um, Terry Steggy, is he still around? He's muted no. at the moment, so I don't know if he's... Here he comes. There he is. Terry, do you have a 64K color computer? I do, the yes. White? Would you mind yeah. holding it up? We can just do a quick quick compare, because I'm pretty sure it's the exact same case, but or is it handy? I find it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I technically have one. <laughs> Mine are handy. I got to go out look, to the other building. It so looks like the badge... 
saying is bigger. What, Brian doesn't have one right there, or does he have to go out to the warehouse? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Which, which warehouse? Get on the forklift. I'll be back. Uh, yeah, well, he has to look that up in the in the database to see what uh, workout. Yep. So Mark's holding up, like, I don't know if anybody else can see it because it's a tiny little picture in the corner, but he's holding up a, a gray case uh, F board. No, that's an older one. That's got to be a D or an E board, right? Yeah, I've got both handy here, so. Yeah, Want to zoom yourself up, Mark, so we can see? Yeah, yeah. No one can see you. Uh, What size is your? Okay, so this is a, a, a D board. Oh, your badge is big. It's off well, to the side though on that one. It's yeah, yeah it's an older model. Coco once had the badge on the side and yeah. the RAM thing on the top right there. Yeah, those are all open. The F boards did yeah. not. They had a centered one. Uh, and then the F board. <sighs> so I'm gonna have to look and find there you out. Go. If, if I would get the light yeah. right, you can see the cap underneath there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that side, they're all open. So what, what you've got there is just this exact same case that either they painted white or just used white plastic. This is it's the same mold as what would have done. Yeah, this that one. one's the same. Right, yeah. just, just stamped out in white. Well, even, even the Coca ones, the gray ones, the first runs, like the C, D, and E boards were usually a black plastic painted silver. And then the F boards, I think, were usually a white painted silver, weren't they? Or some sort of off-white? Um, yeah. And there's your white look, silver. Right looking here. at this one looks like this is gray through and through like looking oh. down into the screw holes uh little corners here my f board here has got what like i've worn like... off some of the you know the wrist stuff and it's white underneath right. and my old d board yeah, was okay. black so that is that gray with silver paint on top so it's silver metallic on top yeah and like gray. yeah th this one i think is gray all through even the, well yeah but the top is silver metallic right yeah yeah okay just take a knife and scrape so, it off for us, Mark. No, I'm just kidding. So when it wore through, it didn't really look that bad. It was kind right. of the same color. And then it also mm -hmm. has the same uh, hand markings, I think, from the guy who molded these things. Oh, right. There's... As to when he molded it, because you had the same in, in the inside of that white one. Just yeah, yours is an 82, isn't it? December or something there, Mark? Uh, Yeah, December 3 of 82. I wonder if it's the same signature. What's the... And Brian's, yours is like May of 83, <laughs> if I remember correctly, right? What's the uh, right. who signed it? All right, um, yeah, it is guys. the same. It's the same guy. Uh, on uh, CA two, CA two again. <laughs> on the C, on the um, must have been an assembler. He, he didn't get fired yet. No, nope. he kept his job all year. Oh, uh, and he he may have been this may have been the person that was kind of the quality control person. You know, as it came off the assembly right. line, he he just yeah. kind of give it that once look over real quick to make sure there's Good nothing. To go. then, yep. yep. Yeah, and this one, my uh, uh, this board does not have uh, a signature inside. It's not black on black. You can see it if you get the light just right. There, they did sign black on black. I know this. No, yeah, Tony Lucari's uh, post in the Color Computer Coco Group has uh, four Coco ones sitting there, and the one that's uh, Coco oh. colored and the other gray one, uh, both have all the vents plugged except two on the bottom and two on the top on both a gray one and in this is the one where um the black extends beyond the keyboard they're all plugged up they're not like those with huh. all vents and rick you are absolutely right this does if you if i get the light in on here there is a black sharpie 
<laughs> I see remnants of a black Sharpie. We only got the black Sharpie, man. We got to go with that. <laughs> uh, oh, I finally got 72381. And, Sweet. you know, doing an angle like this. So I, I made out the date. And I can't quite make out Charles Tandy. But... <laughs> <laughs> But no, I can't. Uh, I can't quite make out the signature. But huh? So yeah, the same guy signed both cases. So that must be the QA guy. He saw yeah. every one of them that came through. And I wonder if uh, Tony Lacari's um, cocos are, you know, from down under and they're different. The inter ten ones would have been a bit different because they need that PAL circuitry added on the VDG at the very least. Right. Do, you, do you remember, Nick, what the differences were? Like, you had a Coco 1, correct? Or did you start on the Coco 2? Uh, Coco 2, um, I can't remember. I've got one, but it's in a box somewhere. So, But did you ever have a Coco 1, like one of the old Grey Stale? I, I have one. <laughs> I did collect one later. I didn't actually have it back in the day, but I do have one. Is it uh, is it a PAL one or is it an NTSC? They're PAL. Okay. And it, it, it's an early one with the badge on the left, but it's in a box somewhere, so <laughs> yeah. I can't get to it. And I hope Terry didn't get lost going to his vast warehouse there. because we right, he's, he's, <laughs> Someone go get Terry. He's lost. <laughs> Send a search party. Hit the car remote and see if it beeps. Terry, anymore. obviously you got too much stuff there. We'll have to take some of it off your hands here so you don't have so much to search through. <laughs> And also, too, Robert, uh, one of the things that he has is uh, he had a lot of documentation. Uh, some of it's organized. Some of it's just kind of a random folder of stuff that he might have had on his desk. But um, one of the things that was in, um, and I really haven't found a whole lot of in information that's specific to the uh, uh, Deluxe Coco, other than I did find this one sheet right here. And you can see here where it says Deluxe Color. And it talks about a little bit of uh, control registers and some some addressing that they were that he was making notes Ooh. of. Yeah. Now I want to mention because I, I've obviously seen this before the um, the sound chip and the UART and what addresses those are at. We already had that from the microware OS nine drivers. This option control register at FF three zero. I had no idea that existed before this sheet. Huh. And I don't know if you want to read That's out uh, the uh, the specs there. What it says there, uh, uh, Brian. Because there's some stuff there for the hardware guys that might be able to help us with a bit later. If you guys ever uh, saw pictures of the uh, Coco 4 with the um, case on top, you know, that had the um, drives in it, um, the uh, keyboard was yellow. And this one's nice and white, you know, and clean. Yeah. So, uh, Rick and, and some of the other hardware guys, mm -hmm. the very first bits, 0, 1, and 2, this has an enable above, uh, enable the above uh, thing. So it's basically a page and no paging. And it's got two bits to control which 16K of RAM is mapped. Right. Now, Mark in the chat had mentioned In the second something. 60K wrap slot. And that's that's right. the very top of RAM there. So. Right. so in the chat, Mark had mentioned something about a RAM drive. Right. Yeah. Yep. When we interviewed him, he mentioned that too, because it was supposed to have a RAM drive. If you didn't have a disk controller plugged in, it would just fire up a little 32K RAM well, drive. Because on a regular Coco, the very top of RAM, you go back into hardware a little bit. But it looks like here you can change that upper chunk. Well, it's not the upper one. If you read it, it says controls which page of 16 RAM is the second. So the second. Well, right, but they're using block. bits 14 and 15. So we're on the very 
top two bits of the RAM map that we're switching around. I'd like to, yeah, play with this. I'd like to see some more information because yeah. I, I, I can't really figure out what they're doing, but it certainly looks cool. Are they and like remapping some of the real high is, RAM down lower? I think that's this what is I'm how they're thinking. This is how they're sneaking the extra hardware in, I think. But I don't know enough to say that right yet. But bit three is the interesting one. Yeah, alternate color set. Now, I did read about this in the microware docs. There was a uh, basically a phase shift for the alpha display. So instead of getting dark green on light green, like our current BDGs oh, do, okay. this had the option of doing blue. And you could turn it between blue and green by changing that bit. Green, okay. So that'd be slightly less you know, harsh on the eyes, I would imagine, though not as soothing. Um, and then uh, bit six and bit seven, enable 60 hertz interrupt. Like you already have that in the PA. So why is there another one here? I have no idea. And then there's also an enable disable cartridge select normal or inhibit. Okay. Any speculation what that might be for, Rick, or other hardware guys? Well, one of the I would like to do that sometimes, so I can see I'm putting it in there, um, like disabling the auto start of a ramp of a cartridge. Exactly that kind of thing. Those two megahertz because, CPU because the way it's hooked up now, if if you plug it around back, it's spamming the thing, and if you could just turn it off, that would be handy. Mark Siegel had a couple comments. Okay. And 60. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark Siegel said QA had no interaction with these machines. Uh, and then he said part of the RAM drive. Maybe that's what the uh, enable disable cartridge is. Okay. So you can uh, get rid of the... the... No, that's got to be the upper two bits. The A14, uh, A15. Yeah. That's okay. going to be part page of... page of 16K RAM is selected. Because to, to do a RAM drive... So you had 32K of RAM available because you have 32K of ROM. So... Your 32k, your other 32k of RAM that's now, you know, that's in the same address space as the ROM is available for something else. So he's they're making a RAM drive out of that. Perfect. Just a yeah. 32k RAM drive in for the RAM that's occupying the same space that the ROM is occupying. That's that'd be my guess. Okay. So with the 16k RAM page, would that be so that you can map in? You can still keep some like a basic program or something like the actual RAM part of it in bottom 16K or the second 16K, but still have the 32K ROM available for disk routines and whatever else? Or Yeah, like maybe keeping the lower 16K stationary and then switching in and out th uh, uh, three banks of 16K, you know, the, the two upper and then so you get your lower 32K that's just normally RAM. So they're splitting that in half. And then paging. Yeah, because Sam does 32k up. banks. You can swap 32k banks in and out. Right, but I think this is cutting it down even in, in that in half, so that you can uh, bank in and out 16k chunks. Okay, so it's kind of like a mini MMU, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, sort of. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of how the banker worked. Is you got to, you had to have a very minimal MMU to be able to switch in and out uh, the RAM into the address space that the CPU could access. And I think with the ROM. Occupying 32k, um, they're taking they're splitting the RAM into two 16k banks, one to stay stationary, and then one that could be switched in and out with the other two. So you have three banks you can switch in and out into one address space. Yeah, and access the RAM drive that way. 60 days keeps saying the same thing. He says, "Oh, that's probably pretty useful. You're so you're still within the 32 lower 32k of RAM, and you can mess with what's happening to half of that as one of the bare minimum approaches to paging RAM. That sounds like it could be a nice user friendly one." Yeah, and Mark's could it, right. Could it play the, Sailor Man. Well, with <laughs> Mark's right with the 
working the RAM disk like that, you had to disable the ROMs out on the cartridge so it wouldn't interfere. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So this... Oh, and that's probably what Bit7 was doing. Cat, you got to get. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Curtis. Ow. Sorry. Yep. I uh, still haven't uh -oh. found them. I think I've left them in my other house yet. So I've got three of them, and I don't think they're in this town yet. Oh. So sorry. Oh, they, oh, okay. They're in your summer home. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, order Buffy to get one for me, please. Yeah, should Should I take the Beamer or the Volvo? <laughs> I think today it's snowmobiles. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. <laughs> They've but, got um, the sound chip and the UART at FF three at the top of that, which is normally Pia mirrors. And I know that Color Basic, to save some bytes during the start, it looks at writing uh, to both Pias by writing at FF20 or so. And then, so they, they well, had to do something about the, the Pia mirrors. Well, there. probably to uh, get additional address spaces they could work with, they had to... Uh, Fully decoded? Uh, yeah, decoded a lot better. Right, clean up a little not, more. Not take yeah. so many shortcuts. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably some of those bodge wires. Yeah, right? or the you know, some of those lot, some of those like the, the that pal those two uh, PLA chips we see down there probably are assisting with that. You know, to more fully decode the. Uh, uh, right, they the need to. Stuff. They needed to put some more smarts on the hardware. Yeah, so that's how they did it. You know, yeah, to eliminate some I, of those wondering... ghosts. I'm wondering uh, the UART. Uh, they put it at at three C, but on the Dragon they put it. If I recall, hold on, I mapped it in my. Yeah, because Dragon sixty four and sixty five fifty one built in as well. So. Yeah, they put it at. Yeah, exactly. Where where did they put it? Oh yeah, they put well, it at the. This could this could be a whole Coco Talk show. Right. Yeah, we should <laughs> be a whole Coco Tech. Yes. Marco, yeah, write it in. <laughs> Here's the events I was uh, talking to you about. Uh, let me find you. Can't see. Let me find you. Run, 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 run. You're in the list somewhere. Look for the orange or brown colored cocoa. Yeah. Find him. <laughs> oh, there he is. I have a little window to look to. <laughs> That's one that Tony posted. A repainted. Excuse me. Repainted one. Yeah, the one behind it isn't. But see, not all events are open. Well, but remember, some of these power supplies had a cardboard cover on them, and you might be seeing that. I, I it doesn't look blocked off. I've got a cocoa looks that looks that me. way. Anyway, that's so this is uh, from um, down Australia. Under, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that one looks just like Ron. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> interesting case. Yeah. My I didn't know they had a bearded model. <laughs> so anyway, this was pretty interesting to me because, I, like I said, from looking at the microware code that they had pretty well ready to go for the deluxe, um, I knew about all of this stuff. I didn't know there was an alternate color set, though. I had no idea how to set it because of the depths file were missing and stuff. But uh, some of this other well, stuff in the option control register, I didn't have oh. a clue, never heard of. So what's the name of the Discord channel and how do you get invited to it? 
The Deluxe Coco Discord channel is what I'm I believe Ron right. has already got created one, a right? Facebook group. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have right. one. We yeah. make Ron's been baking, busy making it in the back, a Facebook group in the background while it's we're talking. Slacker. So. <laughs> I don't even know how I come up with the, you know, that post that I did. Like now, Mark is saying that the final plan for the Deluxe was going to be in a Coco 2 case. So it must have had a much smaller version of the motherboard because mm. that, that board will not fit in a Coco 2 case. Squishy, squishy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Add lots Which of Coco 2 power. case? Because Coco 2s did come in the, that big white. Uh, in Australia, they did. They did not up here. They were all right. smaller. Here it was all low. Well, maybe Plus, that was also Australian Coco 2 was not the Coco 2 we had in the States. Yeah. There's also room well, under the keyboard for an extended motherboard, too. Yeah, and, that's, uh, cool. that's true. When they went to production, they could have probably uh, put some of those uh, glue logics into a. Uh, into a another well, logic one array. thing yeah just so why did why did tandy do that episode well no if they it's had those large white cases why would they need to uh re well, probably cost reduction i'd imagine because you'd be using yeah. a lot less plastic on a coco 2 size case so if you can fit yeah, it would yeah, cut okay. the cost that's but they got that's why they created the coco 2 in the first place i think because basically the coco 2 is not anything hardware different than the coco 1 as far as you know what it does well yeah, no, but a... then they, they would have needed to redesign the whole motherboard again so there's your expense again if you're yeah but they already did well i guess the motherboard i guess because they were just making a new motherboard anyway this is not the same as a coco one motherboard obviously or a coco right. two motherboard so it, you would have to design one no matter what and they obviously that. aren't shipping that one so they're going to make another one without the bodge wires and all the stuff well, so that one, cost is just coming no matter what this one seemed like it was really on its way like it's a proper board. It's not a, no, no. a home wire up job. It's probably it's, they're uh, just ma making it work, getting the bugs worked out. Right, of it, it was redesign it to a smaller footprint. I would guess they made it from a Coco one because that design was more broken out already and made it easier to prototype from. The Coco yeah. two has already been kind of combined and congealed, and that makes it harder to expand it back out and do more things with it. So and they might have been they might have started on this. Uh, you know, like pre um, early development may have been, bef uh, say, just before the Coco 2 came out or something. And they were actually, still... since Mark's in the chat, Mark, do you remember when <laughs> the deluxe project started? I mean, I have some dates on the microware discs, like the drivers, the final ones for the deluxe were written around May to June 1984, I think was the final ones. I'm imagining so it probably was going before that. So in America, the the large white case is it's called the sixty four K color computer. It's not a two. All oh, right, they called it a sixty four. Yeah, okay. And it was only sold for about a year or two, and then the Coco twos kind of took over because initially the yeah. Coco two launched at sixteen K color basic or sixteen K extended basic expandable sixty four, but the sixty four K I don't think was sold on its own until they basically were phasing out the sixty four K color computer. So end, end of 82, he says, when that project started. And he's also saying uh, he had the only real one, which, which means he must have had the only Coco 2 reduced size. I would love to see that if you still have it, Mark. Even a picture. Right. Cool. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention here, um, the very bottom of the sheet, where it mentions the uh, double speed, um, mixed speed mode, as it's called, 
That's the famous, of course, speed up Hulk 65495 oh, comes zero, which doubles the ROMs, leaves the RAM speed alone. That was yeah. not, as far as I know, officially supported by Radio Shack originally because some of the older Coco ones did not work if you did that. And this looks like they were guaranteeing that they would, would work for sure on the deluxe. Of course, it's guaranteed to work on the Coco 3. Well, Mark's saying, sorry, he doesn't have one. What did you do with it, Mark? <laughs> Who'd you give it to? We'll go get it. Yeah, he probably had to leave it behind when he moved on. Oh, he did say that. I had the only one. Yeah. You have a picture of it, Mark. Even that would be. So it sounds like uh, Cocoa Fest is going to be very, very interesting this year. <laughs> yes. Like, like, like Brian mentioned, this is just the start. <laughs> How much for the two security guards? That must cost you a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark said it was destroyed. Yeah. Now the that real was expense <laughs> was Mark uh was Brian had to hire Pinkertons to sit outside. There you go. Curtis's house and my house and oh no, we just freeze them out here. We just tell them to you know go outside without a jacket on and they're gone within 30 yeah, seconds. So. Shove them out the door there. <laughs> it's in and out. <laughs> Amazing stuff, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Is there any more uh, documentation uh, written like that? No, um, I mean there there is, but it's it relates to other work that he was doing. So, uh, but this is I've been trying to go through some things just to see if there's anything I can find that. Um, uh, that there's a lot of stuff that came with this. There's there's. Machines that have nothing to do with the Coco. Like Robert was involved with a lot of programming for a lot of things. So there's like, you know, TRS-80 black and white models. There's some apples. There's some PCs. There's all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Brian has to go through. And some of the stuff might have gotten mixed up over the years because it's been in a storage unit. So, you know, I don't know. You know, Brian, have you had a chance to go through everything yet? I don't think you have. Um, I've I've touched every, uh, every box and stuff like that. So I have kind of a sense of what's uh, of what's in there. Um, but I haven't dug, dug deep. I mean, I have, there's about four or five boxes of nothing but just paperwork and printouts and things like that and stuff. So to get an understanding of what's, what's in there, I want to lay it all out on the table and then group stuff together, um, that are, that are common and stuff like that. So, um, but he, he did keep a lot of records of things. Um, one thing that I'd like to be able to kind of share with folks that I'm not sure it, if some of it's going to make sense, but I, there's a few that I've come across that are interesting. Um, a lot of the correspondence between him and Radio Shack. Um, uh, what's what's the guy's name there? Um, all of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank there. Um, oh shoot, Dale Chatham. Uh, not 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 Dale. Um, what's the name I'm looking for here? Oh shoot, I'm drawing a blank here. What, what did they do? Then maybe we can narrow it down. Yeah, let's see here. I. I thought I had a sheet here just laying here. Um, it's, it's hell being old, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, when when you get all the information in your head like I do, you know, it's, you got to make room for things sometimes, you know. And so it's just uh, only so much only so much room in the bucket, you know. When you <laughs> fill the bucket up and you start putting more in, it just overflows, right? So um, that's, that's my right. problem. <laughs> um, Van Chandler. Van Chandler. Is that what you said, Alan? I'm sorry. Um, 
but uh, no, I was no, thinking said Gale. Yep. So Van Chandler, there's a lot of correspondence between Robert and uh, and uh, Van Chandler there about uh, different projects. Well, do, uh, do you know what Van Chandler's in. official title was at Radio Shack, or if you don't, maybe Mark Siegel knows. Yep, I got it right here. Um, oh wait, yes, uh, Van. Well, it just says director. Re director, computer applications. Okay, so he's like the software. Yeah, so I think a lot of this correspondence wasn't necessarily with hardware folks, but it was with uh, on the software side of things. Now, fact, I will mention one thing I, I know from talking with, with Bob, um, even before this stuff got picked up by Brian, is that uh, he's been involved in a couple of uh, pre-production things. Because um, he was one of the original developers that Tandy, because of his work in scripts on the Model 3 and 79, uh, got you know asked to be one of the original developers for the Coco One launch titles, which is why you know Glazer Commander and stuff like that's in there. So he actually, if you remember our Im interview with the image producers with the original Coco One prototype on a piece of wood, um, he had one of those at the time too to do the original development. Now he had to return those; he does not have them, did not have them. So uh, and he, unfortunately, he doesn't have any pictures of it either. I'm sure there's NDAs, you know, strictly against that. But uh, so he's had a couple of the uh, prototypes. He's had the deluxe one you're seeing here, and he had the original, you know, wooden board in february of 1980 uh before the coke one became a thing too so he had he has a lot of early history with the coco I, I must say could we look at the motherboard one more time sure let's see here and we'll have to wrap up here pretty soon i do got to take my uh son to work here a little bit he's not a big fan of the snow driving so now the um, Model One Coco's power supply is back where those large capacitors are. Oh, uh, there's a couple different versions of that. I think depending on what board you have, that whether it was the D or the E or the F boards, okay, where where, where this was located, because some of them the board was located right in the middle. The circuit board right. actually had like a hole cut in. The transformer was in a in a recess right there, and I've seen some other ones where it's right here as well. Okay. Yeah, the F board has it low, uh, low like it like you've got there. And it's yeah, also I have to go dig mine out. But there's there's a lot of things that are very much like a Coco a Coco one board. It has the same type of transformer with the five wires, you know, plugged in on the side right here. It has the uh, the big five volt regulator with the little uh, heat sink cage around it. Got an update from Mark Siegel on, on Van Chandler. He says. Uh... Van was moved to merchandising, and after that happened, that's when uh, Mark became in charge of that same set. So okay. Mark kind of replaced Van, it sounds like. Okay. Very interesting. So, yeah, if anybody's sitting on a fence about coming to Coco Fest, uh, because, you know, it's just, it's just Coco stuff over and over again. No, there's, there's some unique stuff you'll be seeing at this one. So if you possibly want to pick a good year to go, this is the one. Can you show the bottom real quick if you hold onto it tight? Yeah, there's there's nothing there. Oh, just, yeah. yeah. No stickers, no, no nothing. That's not a common occurrence to see a, you know, unless well, they they sold one to the public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like the, those Coco even... 2 kits that they sold, uh, were, you know, I showed one of those on the on the show here where it was a kit um, <laughs> that was assembled. It's the same thing. It's just a plain molded case as if it came right off the production line and no stickers mm -hmm. on it. I mean, this is a prototype. The only label it ever had was asset tag C00812 or whatever that says there. Right. Or, sticker, yeah. 
that was it. <laughs> now I have a question for Mark in the chat. Uh, do you remember how many of these development prototypes went out to other developers? Uh, we know Microware had at least one or two. Um, we know, obviously, now that Robert Kilgus had one. I'm just wondering if you remember, Mark, how many or even who they might have been. Um, I do know you'd mentioned Steve Burke was not one of them. He got one of the prototype Coco 3s, I think, like one of the early production pre-production runs, but I don't think he had a deluxe. But I'm kind of curious if you remember. Also, too, if these were supposed to be returned back to Radio Shack and I'm in possession of something illegal, I'm going to be getting a ticket to Mexico. <laughs> so just so you guys know. Watch out for the helicopter. Well, Radio Shack doesn't exist anymore, so I don't think they can come after you. <laughs> you're so. right. You're right. <laughs> I think you're good. Okay. So, so Mark says 12 prototypes. 11 that we don't so know So 12 about. developers. So, uh, and Boise nine. had two. One was John Prickett, of course, helped do some of the hardware design. Okay. Okay. Did Boise and get then, the microware once then? He might have. That maybe. Yeah. Or that, is, so that's I know bad. one was John Prickett because it's in the book. He actually mentioned specifically went to John Prickett's house. That's where the Coco 4 case is from, too. That wasn't one of the ones at microware that were unfortunately used for entertainment purposes. No, it was the hard drives they used for target practice, as far as I know. Okay. Stupid. Appropriate. <laughs> All the source code for OS 9 level 2. Where was the dump at Fort Worth? <laughs> yeah, where all the motherboards went. Yeah, we have to do an Atari twenty six hundred ET cartridge uh, and the type Gordo thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, depending on, depending on where they went to the dump, they may have also gone to a uh, uh, a recycling Shredder. place where where they would have tried to reclaim the the metal oh, yeah. off of it, shred them for metal, and yeah. yeah. Did the chips you take off have those um, gold plate on the top on the RAM? No, no. You're talking like the really early ones? Yeah. Yeah. No, Mark, just, uh... or Mar uh, Mark Siegel, just one last question. I don't know if you want to tell us. I, I mean, I don't think there's any problem with doing so. I was wondering, do you remember which other developers did get the, the deluxe prototypes besides Robert? Or even just a couple of them, if you, if you remember. Or even a company that might have gotten them besides Microware and, and Robert. Or if you could just make it up. <laughs> <laughs> don't encourage him, Ron. <laughs> it's kind of kind of hard to see though, but this is this is the typical. Probably not going to focus very well, but it's kind uh, of what they would have had in the shop there. Yeah, this that's is what the, was in it right there. Well, this Tandy, is the memory chip, Tandy Corp chips, the Tandy Corp yeah. ones. So, I just haven't put them back in there yet, but I will. Okay, I was just starting to do first steps of troubleshooting. So, ah, and it's not the RAM, <laughs> right? Nice find though. Jeez, uh, Chris Durst is asking, does that mean four of them are known to exist? I think just three. There's two with Boise and then your, yours now, right? The Robert's old one? I don't know of any other ones. <coughs> I think Boise got one from John and one from Mike, where's my guess? All right. Mark implies his is gone, destroyed, so. so. Yeah, that's sad. One well, down. You know, and again, you know, I mean, one of these things like that you don't really realize what you have type of thing, you know, I mean, could there have been somebody who's dad received one and you know and or it's sitting you know, in a garage somewhere piled under right. you know, oil cans you know somebody yeah. who's a developer well somebody who was a developer that you know maybe passed away long ago and never would have thought to ask if they had one of these you know back well in that's the a reason i was asking mark if he remembers any of the developers like i'm thinking maybe greg zumwalt might have been one and he's still alive as far as we know and he, maybe he's one to contact too if he you know, if he ever does pass away and wants to make sure it goes somewhere, maybe that can be donated to Gill Inside or VCF for the museum or something. 
Who's and we checked Brian Weasler for another one. Right. He has one in his other house there and just forgot. Who knows? <laughs> and he just happened to find that Coco 2 kit. Just uh, I just found it. I don't remember where I got it. You know, so. <laughs> I, I still laugh about that one. Don't uh, I'm actually <laughs> laugh and embarrassed about the whole thing. Like, you think something like that would have been like a, an obvious like, oh, look at this. A Coco with parts. No big deal. Put it back in the oh, I'm loving it. I'm getting all kinds of mileage out of that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, I remember specifically when when uh, Brian called me up because he he brought the trailer full of stuff home, and then he was opening. I think it was a Coco One box. This was in, wasn't it? Yeah. And you were so excited to call me up, and you said you wouldn't believe what I got here because when he took a quick look, you know, when he's loading it up, as he mentioned, you know, Robert was getting tired and stuff. There, he just quickly saw, yeah, it looks like a sixty four K Coco, and just put it back. Didn't quite notice the keyboard, but mind you, Tandy did sell these keyboards in a little baggie separately for thirty nine bucks, so you can definitely have these just quite a few of these floating around but when he actually took a look at the uh, back and you know that's he was so excited because he had no idea until he got home with it that he had actually had a deluxe well because like i said i just opened the box casually and just kind of thought that um yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well because like i said you know robert had some health issues there and he was getting a little tired and weak and he was coughing and so i just i didn't want to prolong it by but it, 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 was a, it was a box. This is actually the box. You can see here's the FedEx label and everything that they used to, uh, right. to ship to, to ship it to Robert. So that's kind of cool. You know, it even has Van Chandler's name on it right here. Uh, Robert's uh, name, like a, a handwritten label. And then here's the FedEx label. And it was ship priority. What, what did it cost back then? It doesn't <laughs> say on here. Well, it wouldn't say. it? Wouldn't, there wouldn't be a cost. It was a prototype. I mean, oh, the, I uh, think Mark was cost. mentioning the, the it was going to be $50 label. more. Oh, yeah. but. No, I mean shipping. Oh, it shipping. Oh, sorry. It, yeah, it doesn't say on here. What was the date again? The date what? That it was shipped. shipping date. Oh, the shipping date? It was uh, shipped right here. It was uh, 722 of 81. Wow. Ooh, wow, that early? Wow. Well, and that's really? what, and that, and, and you know, you sure, maybe that's a different that. case. Well, that's what I kind of wonder a little bit because I don't know. This is the case that it was in. But I, I thought I saw that, and that's what I kind of thought was kind of interesting because this is eighty one, but the board says eighty three. So, yeah, I think this must be so, a different case. He must have just put it in another old Coco One case, and that's possible. Yeah. I but still, I I'm not going to get rid of this just because of all of. You well, know, yeah, the, yeah, Chandler. This is one of the Cocos that he got from Candy. Yeah. Right. A lot of Providence yeah. there. So he just got put mm. back in a different different box then. Yeah. So somewhere, yeah, there's just a normal Coco One in this special development box. Because I'm pretty sure the deluxe was not started on in '81. Right. Yeah. Well, get it sorted out. This isn't. Well, this isn't a. a, a what do you think? It was just. It was laying right here with the other stuff that I had. Some of the other stuff. I. I always kind of like these here. This is the. This is the thin one. The thin one. Yeah, the one that was not quite ready yet. <laughs> yeah, and so I. This is. I. Uh-huh. I can just show that real quick. It's kind of. Kind of cool. It's one was of the that thin in ones. the box? No, it was just. It was with some of the other stuff that was. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. That there. Really I will mention if anybody has the the full color basic manual, uh, the archive only has this mini version. It doesn't have the one with the extra three sections. So if anybody you know has one that's kind of falling apart and needs it scanned or something like that, uh, maybe you can scan it and put it in. Uh, but my friend of mine, we bought our cocos literally uh, two months apart, and he got this one because he got his first, and I got the full one afterwards. So he was quite jealous. Anyway. When did uh, Mark Siegel start at Tandy? Uh, 82 or 83, I think. And was the Deluxe already 
in development or it started well, after? Well, he I said don't... the deluxe was end of 82 is when that started. Yeah, and he got there, I think, mid-82 or somewhere around there. I can't remember. He did tell me back when we did his interview, but I don't recall off the top of my head. Brian, can you uh, show us what the... Uh... <laughs> It's hard to say. Can you show us what the uh, MC10 looks like in relation to? <laughs> no, I don't have an MC10 here with me. Okay. Well, right. I'll tell you what. Inside so, uh... joke. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Shall we? Move there you on? go. Part one of the tease of what you can see at Coco Fest this year. Okay. Yeah. I wonder, does anybody have one of those keyboards in the baggie still? I think I, I saw, didn't you have that, Brian? Yeah, I have two of them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing the stores here, but I just didn't, by that time, I think I, no, I just, I didn't have any software that used the extra key, so I just said, ah, why, why bother? Right, kind of kicking Shack myself. sold TI ones <laughs> in a bag, too, remember? Yeah, they sold a, a lot of third-party yeah, keyboards, actually. Got, they sold those. They sold the Commodore one in the bag. I bought that one instead because it was on a circuit board so I could cut all the traces and rewire it for <laughs> ZX81, actually. We won't get into that. That's what I did with the TI one. It's still still on my 81 as well. Up in the, on the Actually, when, when those black ones came out like that, um, I looked at it thinking uh, it would be good for a spare, but I wasn't sure it would work because of the extra keys. So I never, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, uh, I did know because of all the third party ones, because those started coming out in about mid 82, like the um, HGL and the professional. And I can't remember the, uh, the Mark Data. Well, Mark Data didn't have extra keys, but there was at least three or four manufacturers with extra keys HGL, right. Micronics. Uh, what the heck was the other one? It had one single function key in the corner. Um, Keytronics? No. I can't remember now. There but there's quite a few. Uh, not Kentronics. Um, uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, shall we go into commercial break or uh, do we want to do a rounds garage? Was there anybody else had any uh, projects, updates, or acquisitions they wanted to do? I, that's kind of hard to follow up that one, but <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Rick, I think you had a, a something. Yeah, I, I, clean I, up I, segment. I, can, I guess I can do a quaint, uh, quick one here. Um, let me make this work because, yeah. uh, believe it or not, that took an hour and a half. Time right. flew, time flies. I, I could do that, look at that one for another few hours. So this uh, network card that I've been working on, uh, Henry's managed to get his boot software working on it. So you'll notice here a Coco 2 booting from its network card and nothing else. And I see you have a protection device. Hey, oh, yeah. We won't ask about the knife. I'm not really sure what the, why the knife is there. But uh, what is that you get boot? past the knife. Um, this this menu comes up. Just just he's connecting to a server out on the on the World Wide Web at the 10.23 address you can see there, and uh, you know pull up <laughs> Nancat as your uh, demo. So this is the Coco Two. They just pulled this off the web. Um, That's Rick, not a knife. This is uh, a knife. So <laughs> you're turning you're turning the uh, Coco into a thin client. Pretty much. So here's a Coco Three booting level one. He did he broke his level two boot. So it's not working here, but there's a Cocoa 3 with nothing but the network card plugged inside of it, booting off of the Ethernet. And uh, when so you say you're, you're using the word boot from, is it is it 
is that is that cartridge set up in such a way that when you power it on, it's looking out to the internet or network? Yes, or something? there's there's a, there's a boot ROM in the card. If you enable it, um, it will hit this uh, Axiom Four, which is a menu. It's like a hypercard stack. You can pick what it does. And uh, what he's done for the demo here is he's got this NANCAT demo that he pulled up and then booted OS9. Unfortunately, he has a level two boot for the Coco 3, EOU for the Coco 3, but he broke it. So <laughs> um, this boot can only do level one. Uh, but it just shows it works on a Coco 1, Coco 2, Coco 3. You don't need a multi-pack, you can have one. Anyway, I'm just really excited. All this stuff is working because I've been working on it for two years now. Yeah, it's finally come together. And uh, so anyway, that's- I wonder what the thing is next to this Tandy sticker. Huh, what? Don't know. Looks like an odometer or something. <laughs> oh, hard to say. Uh, just another sticker. Yeah, that's Henry's computer, right? Not getting by the strict on it. All switches. It's a oh, good could be switches. Okay. Good so in, in, in any case, yeah. And then, uh, of course, folks. Oh, come on. Do what I ask you. Get your table, because <laughs> Coco Fist is running out. <laughs> yeah, that's out of data. There's only five left right now, I think, Grant. Grant's still on the call. I can verify that. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Yeah, five. I think we're yep. right there. That's all you get, but it's all going to change. People move around and stuff. I just wanted to point out that uh, it's almost full. And so, you know, if you don't do it now. Yeah, and they've only been up up, up for grabs for what, two weeks or less? Right. <laughs> Not yeah. even two weeks yet. <laughs> all right. Well, since uh, with that, Grant, do you want to give us a report or have one? No, there's nothing really much more to report other than. Uh, Get your tables now. Um, we're only down to five. We're probably going to be setting up some tables in the hallway um, as well. So we might be opening that up, but we don't want to do that until we sell out of these five tables first because we want more people inside the uh, main room than we can have out there in the hallway. So, right. um, and we might, if, I mean, if it gets even crazier, we might even get a, that uh, small room across the hall uh, to set up some tables in there, but uh, we'll wait you and know, see. Grant, if uh, it gets really bad, we can have people set up tables next door at the truck stop. Yeah, or just that's right in the do. parking lot. Yeah, just parking lot as well too. <laughs> yeah, they did it. I think that's where Brian Weasler is going to be parking in the, at the truck stop. <laughs> yep. Uh, the other thing too, if you want to give a presentation at Coco Fest, uh, just shoot me an email or reach out to me on Discord. Um, Ken, are you guys, uh, you and uh, Oh Curtis Boyle, going to be doing one this year? Talk. I don't know Curtis yet. Guy. I haven't actually had a chance to really think about it, but I would imagine we'll probably do something. Okay. So what do you uh, think, Ken? I haven't really asked you uh, either. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Ken's gonna be demonstrating uh, games. That's what he's gonna be doing. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like He'll a possible come up with maybe. The whole thing during the drive. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. I'll be playing yeah. games. There you go. Yeah. Yep. There and that's go. the other thing too. I uh when I asked Ken to set up a uh, high score challenge to a Coco Fest. So sure. I can I can probably do that. I think uh, I might have some games in mind. Yeah, so we can maybe set up a, a table there with uh, two or three cocos, and then uh, maybe a whiteboard or something we can write the scores on or something. And yeah, maybe just make sure little... it's not rampage because we're all going to lose that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> just make Mr. sure it's Moore not Droid. <laughs> that just depends on how much they pay me. Yeah, and we don't <laughs> yeah. want uh, any Nick Morantis games either. So we want to. <laughs> oh no, Nick! <laughs> 
no, I'm okay with Nick Morenti's games. Just one of his can't be there. Any, I'm, no Nick Morenti's games that start with the word Neutroid. <laughs> I was gonna that's, do that's good, Jason, because that covers all the versions. That's good. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. do a low score version of Neutroid. Whoever gets the lowest score is the true winner. Yeah. Now, am yeah, I an yeah, outcast? I because only... I actually enjoyed Neutroid Reloaded. There you oh, go. You left a. How much did you pay him? He's going to release a game called now more Neutroid, and now it won't say Neutroid is the first word. So then that would be allowed. Okay, the no winner, games uh, that have Neutroid in the title. The winner of the game on challenge could get a gift card to um, Trader Joe's. A free copy of Neutroid. <laughs> gift card to the truck stop next door. And one other thing, too, I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably mention here um, is that we are looking on ways to increase the bandwidth for the internet there at the hotel, mainly upload speeds. Download speeds, nobody had any problems with downloading at the hotel. And um, so we're kind of looking at maybe if somebody has access to a satellite dish, maybe they can with an RV, we can maybe use that temporarily um, or one of those fancy 5G uh, internet connections that AT&T, Verizon, and some yeah. of the other telcos. Uh, Henry offer. brought one of those to the fest last year, and it worked really well from that venue. Oh, really? The, cool. With the antennas coming out of it, all different directions. Yeah, that's yeah, because I know we don't want to. Uh, I mean, the club would will pay, uh, you know, to use it. Of course, it's just not feasible for us to get a subscription to uh at&t or verizon for right. one weekend out of the whole year i mean that's going to cost you know several hundred if not and, thousands of dollars so if we can just borrow one from somebody that'd be awesome unless the club unless the club wants to buy a starlink and then i'll just hold on to it until next year why you know oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the goodness of your heart yes so i think if you can get some kind of like 5g hotspot you may be able to find something in the prepaid range or something that you could use once a year yeah but, we we have been looking at that but the problem is they will cap you at a certain amount and then they drop your you drop your speeds so, right yeah that that would be um, that would be something to consider but we can't is, get any type no of upgraded thing. There's no such upgraded service from the uh, from the uh, hotel for like a no. The hotel connection. has such an abomination of a portal that you have to use to get network access from them. It's horrible. We fought our we beat our heads against that portal twelve different ways last year. It's horrible. Right. Besides, the and speed, also keep in mind too, hotels are geared more for downloading because most people are downloading and not uploading. So that's going to no, yeah. Yeah, so that's the kicker. So we could get a private internet, you know, through a uh, through the company who rents the tables. They do do that, but it's you know over a thousand dollars for them to do that. We don't want to pay well, that. Yeah, that's <laughs> our how, coffee how, budget. Is. How uh, how close is the uh, closest person from the Chicago area that uh, to the hotel? We could just run a run a cable from their place. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, who'd you say who did the five um, G hotspot last year? Oh, Henry, Henry, Henry Strickland. Because Henry Strickland. Uh, we had, we were running all of our Tokyo stuff. Do you out. have access? To, uh, can you have him email me and see if he we can work out something? Or do you have his email? I think address? it was actually a buddy of his. So we'll, we'll I'll see if there's anything Tommy. he can do for us. Yeah. Okay, that'd be awesome. And actually, Grant, uh, did you you probably you guys just had a Glenside meeting, which I think was covering a lot of fest related material recently, like this week, past week or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was on Thursday. Was, was there anything else you wanted to mention? Because I didn't get a chance to watch the whole, whole video. No, and I don't know if there was anything no, more for the general public. Or No, that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, just mainly get people need to get tables and so forth like that. So, uh, um, 
the main thing that the Glenside medium, the big, uh, the big thing I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, Marco, was probably that they want to start a thousand dollar fund uh, to purchase things off of eBay that are kind of rare, you know, like the uh, uh, Steve York stuff, you know, stuff like that. So, so therefore they can actually get the stuff, archive it, and then maybe put it into the auction at a later time, that type of thing. So hmm. that was a big discussion this week. And Henry, yeah, actually, the new the newest uh, release of New Trade is actually pretty good, but we just like sliming Nick because it took him forty years to get it right. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he started with the Model One. What can you say? It's this it's this year and last year's running joke. Yeah, the problem is that the Model One one was good, and then he went backwards. Yeah, and now he caught it back up and actually finally surpassed it again. So, well, he had to get used to how to used to how to program in color. <laughs> yeah. and right so, side and, up and the yeah, other thing right too side. I don't and know how much did he pay you <laughs> <laughs> and one yes. other thing too just to let everybody know uh, VCF Midwest is not going to be at the same location as last year so if you have a reservation at that hotel you may want to cancel that so because they are now moving to even a larger venue now I think it's and have they released what it is yet or is that still no they're still they're just in negotiations right now yeah so I'm pretty still... sure that that's going to make it probably the largest uh uh, retro computer show in the nation. I think. I don't think there's anything as large as that one in North America. I think last a, year it was the largest. Normal. Yeah. So, so Curtis, get your butt up here and attend it. You always oh. say you're going to do it. You never do. Unless I'm, Brian, I'm, I've been Weezer working put... on the finances to do it. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off this year, but uh, <laughs> next year for sure. What if I don't Brian make it this Weezer year, the next year. A... If Brian puts on a show, that might be, beat the record. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's all I have is an update. Uh, Mark, oh, you might want to mention something about the virtual Cocoa Fest. Oh, yeah, I just oh. like to plug the virtual Cocoa Fest. Uh, so far, I've not had any responses either, yay or nay. Well, except for Paul Fiscarelli, he said I can't make either event, either the real Cocoa Fest or the one the end of the month. Um, and I haven't had any people even say that they uh, um, can't attend. It's just been dead silence. So uh, we talked briefly. Maybe we need to push it out another month and promote it some more. I don't know. So I'll do another round of promotion and I'll try to hit the cocoa list also. But uh, so far, no takers. Nobody's interested. All crickets. Okay. So anybody who has something to present that won't be able to make it to the physical cocoa fest, please contact Mark. And where should they contact you, Mark? Um, I have an email all set up. Uh, uh, Cocotech at decoconation.com will get to me. Uh, easiest one to use um also i'm on uh, facebook messenger i'm on all the major trs 80 color computer groups on facebook i'm on the uh the coco discord and uh where else uh, you're everywhere yeah all the major ones i think i'm on yeah, that, too are you on myspace yeah uh, <laughs> years ago i don't think i could log in again <laughs> yeah because that's important just i mean just to, re re to remind everybody we are not going to be having presentations on sunday we're pretty much the only thing I think that's gone on the schedule for Sunday is the Glenside meeting uh, at 9.30. And then after I'll that, it's, that too here. Yeah. So therefore, it's uh, pretty much open uh, for everybody to, you know, to go to the booths and their vendors and everything like that and finish up and for the day. So um, oh, no Sunday. That, but I enjoyed that early morning Sunday uh, thing after Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so doing a press, trying to do a presentation. Ken, if you're sleeping during Cocoa Fest. You're doing it wrong. Yes, that's true. There's yeah. no time for sleep. Hey, that's why I said after the Saturday night thing, trying to do a Sunday morning presentation. 
You're just lucky you got a lot of extra sleep from listening to me yammer about Nitrous 9 the 22 hours to get there. <laughs> okay. You know, we do have uh, airplanes, you know. What's that? Air, it's rather it's rather expensive to haul haul a whole bunch of cocoa-related hardware that way, though. Well, you can always use UPS. Oh, yeah, that worked so well for chocolate bars, didn't it? It's cheaper to rent a U-Haul than it is to use UPS. <laughs> accurate, too. Is it time for a commercial break? Yep, that's all More I have. More than time. <sighs> okay, here we go. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should, too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Jeff N says, Hi everyone. I was half of a bleak triad back in the day, makers of Caladural 1 and 2, The 7th Link, Those Darn Marbles, Overlord, and Studio Works. I still have one of our old Coco 3s with a CM8 and 2 drives, which all still work. I found this server after watching a Coco Town video. I'm here mostly to lurk and see what other people are up to, maybe pick up some tips here and there on how Coco coding is done these days. Evercode says, Hi, I'm Christian. I no longer have my Coco. I started with a Coco 2 with a 64k tape drive. By the time I left the platform, I had a 512k Coco 3 with dual drives, a hard disk, CM8 monitor, and was running OS 9 level 2. I had released a text editor called TED. I think I wrote it in basic 09. I found this server after watching the Steve Bjork memorial video. Zim says, your name? Christian, but I mostly go by Zim. Your systems? I have a Coco and a TRS-8100, other than that, I miss my C128. I'm just starting to get into retro. 
I got the systems handed down and I'm looking forward to explore old hard and software. I'm a hacker at heart. I'm looking for creative use of old systems, maybe getting them to talk modern networking. Retro gaming on hardware looks like fun too. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Oh, I guess I got to push the button. Hadn't fixed that yet. There. Okay, have you arrived? Yes, we see okay. you. We're here. Okay. This is a um, 16-color image from Paul Fiscarelli's Coco SC image software. Or, well, it's... Uh, is um, sprite um, software that he compiler, right. yeah, compiler, image yep. conversion. Yep, works well. It's neat. And um, I took that image and made a GIF out of it, and uh, ran it on the Coco Three GIF reader, and it looks like this. And this, yeah, that's one of the very early ones by Chris Babcock. Yeah, back in the day, we had that, and we thought it was cool to even just see one. <laughs> on the Coco 3. And that's kind of what it would look like. Along with, uh, they have palette switching that makes it look kind of spectacular and can't understand what Psychedelic, the Psychedelic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there and are then, better uh, gift viewers on the Coco, I should yeah, mention. There's, and just uh, Color Max is one. And this was done by Color Max, evidently, or Roger Taylor did it. And that's back in 2014. Looks great. And <clears throat> this is a high color image of the same thing. And uh, Coco VGA for Coco 1 and 2, if you have one installed, you can see the, this image. Um, this is in the uh, format of uh, making the um, image to be used on the on, on the drive. And then um, as we go down, evidently kids these days are watching this show called uh, Raymond. What's it called? Everybody loves Raymond. No, it's R A Y M A N Raymond, <laughs> and evidently it's a character that doesn't have any uh, body connected to the arms. <laughs> it's a cartoon, I guess. And so no, it's also a game there. on the Wii I've played before too. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's okay, Raymond. Yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with it at all, but I figured I'd um, do this first. Somebody mentioned that if it was on the Coco, um, that their I guess kid he's might missing be... his noodles might be interested in it you know so i threw it on there it doesn't actually you know it's not a program it's just an image but you know um look what i did son <laughs> one of those things and it looks a whole lot better on a, a monitor the cm8 and uh i thought mickey's uh adventure here has a similar uh look to it you know with his hands out and stuff and i thought that was cool 
so I put that on there. I've done some uh, other images, you know, that you guys can go and download if you want to put them on your computer, the Beatles. And um, I took a look at Mickey's Adventure, which is kind of neat. Uh, at the time, it was four ninety five. must have been marked down. <laughs> so I don't oh, know yeah, what they were in the out. beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and that worked on a Coco 2. And uh, back then, there was only, uh, there, well, I should say not only, there was nine planets then. Now there's only eight. And back then, um, Pluto was the seventh, no, ninth, eighth, eighth planet. Because, well, what do you mean by uh, orbit wise? You mean? Yeah, because the orbit of um, Pluto goes inside the orbit of uh, Neptune. Uranus. Yeah. Neptune, yeah. 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 So it was interesting. They said 1999, it'll change, you know, but it was in the software, which was pretty cool. So I mean, they're, they're going to bump into each other once. Oh, in a while? here, here's the vision of it. Uh, I think it goes this way. In 1999, it was here, so then it became the ninth planet. But then um, they took it away in 2004, I think, or three. They made a. They said it was a uh, dwarf planet. And these are the people that made the program. Do we know any of these people? Bob well, Al Lowe is, is rather famous because I think he's the guy that did uh, Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, okay. If I remember correctly. And Roberta Williams, of course, is you know one of the two. The absolute heart of Sierra Online. Yeah. Um, we had, what was it, Mickey's and Pluto Heads one? And, yeah, there's uh, a Winnie the Pooh one. There's a Donald Winnie Duck one. one. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I chose this one because I'm, you know, uh, amateur astronomer and thought it would be interesting to watch. And it, and it was pretty cool. Um, it, it's colorful and it's, uh, you know, it's one of the better uses of artifact colors, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. it's pretty cool. This is on a Coco One. This is a, a T1 chip inside with, uh, I have the um, composite hooked up to a monitor. So it's not TV and crazy. Now, Nick Randy's would think this would just look like an ugly bunch of vertical lines. Because that's what right. it looked like on Pal. <laughs> um, so, just for kicks, I found uh, this. It's our wedding song on um, Orchestra 90. And uh, there was two versions. And this first one has a little vibrato going on or something. And it's not anywhere near it. But it's near it, but it's not as good as the second one. And so, um, yeah, I pl played it nice and loud with my... Uh, sound up on the um, uh, emulator, you know, hooked to uh, my stereo system. And, and it sounds pretty good. It's pretty neat. Uh, I designed uh, the Color Computer Group's uh, alternate group logo thing and uh, put that up. And then uh, I also designed uh, the next Coco Fest uh, artwork. Hopefully, um, other people might you know contribute and want to um, you know show what they can do, and they'll pick one for the events five months away. And I I, I did want to show though that I have a little TC on here as like a you know just a little gag thing. What else do I got? Uh, 
there's the original picture, and I named this after Simon because he, it kind of looks like Simon. If and Simon said it, it kind of looked like him if he grew his beard long. Uh, did you ever notice this uh, thing that um, Tandy put out? Um, it's a like a flyer. They they used to have them when the color computer came out, and they they left it, you know, around the. It was like an ad. But they yeah, I do remember word, those being the store that used to have them beside the cocoa on display, and you could just pick right, them up and take them. They home. spelled palette wrong on it. They had two L's on it, and not, I fixed it and made this one from the original, you know, and did the artwork to it to make it. Correct. Unless they meant pallets of cocos, because I think that is spelled with two L's, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's wrong. Because pallet with one L is for color, and then pallet with two L's, I think, is like the wooden thing you stock. Right. So it's right. Yeah, the it. pallet with two is L's it? only has one T. Oh, right. That's true. <laughs> Jeez. So it's still wrong. Yeah. Is it the English spelling, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Could be. No, it's just no copyright. <laughs> and no this copy is the virtual Coco Fest we were talking about that you, uh, you guys out there in the world need to um, come on, get going, get some things together for it. Let's have it. Hey, if it doesn't we work for you, ones. tell me. We had old ones. We had ones before. Yeah, that's about it, guys. Um, you know, I'm always doing weird stuff like this and. If you got nothing to do, go there and make faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That looks good. Ken, you ready? Um, yeah, okay. Uh <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Super Pitfall. We had a total of 11 players. We had Coconut Bob with 53,500. Jim Rye, 106,000. Tied for 8th place, we had Shenley and L. Curtis Boyle with 168,500. Tied for 6th place, we had TJB Chris and Tasman with 171,500. Micro Hobbyist, 184,500. Mr. Dave, 6309, 195,500. Sloopy Malibu, 203,500. Canadian Retro Things, 205,000. And this week's number one score belongs to Ed Rhodes with 213,000. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. That wasn't the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you can always plan on not being the worst as long as Mark give, Mark B gives a score, but he didn't this time. Yeah, I'm usually right on the bottom. <laughs> okay, so that was Super Pitfall, and I did find a couple of reviews of this. Uh, one from the February 89 edition of Dynamic Color News. And uh, basically they give a, gave a uh, little 
blurb about how to play the game and then um, mentioned that a couple of things they had trouble with with the game was trying to figure out how to fire the gun. I guess they must have been using a single button joystick. Oh, probably. Because, uh, and the other thing they couldn't figure out is uh, how to get into the explorer mode of play, neither of which are explained in the, or that's not explained in the instructions. So the gun they used the space bar for, so apparently if you're using a single button joystick, you can fire with the space bar. An explorer mode is, uh, you access that from the uh, how many players line, which I didn't actually know either. So, And uh, basically they just said they're impressed with how much territory you can cover and still be in new uncharted areas. So it's a very big game. Yeah. Other than that, everything that they talked about was basically just things that are in the game and how to play it. So the other review is, let me just find it here. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, actually, I got to go back to that one and change it. There we go. Rainbow in December of 88, I believe. So basically, their review is mostly just talking about how to play the game. Basically, just spitting out the instructions again. Um, a couple of times they did actually add a little bit. They said that the graphics were great. Um, that there didn't run into any problems with the game. Uh, the only times they got into trouble was their own fault. And it's a fun and challenging game. Other than that, it was just basically a rehash of the instructions. At least they did have a screenshot of it in the review this time. Yeah, yep. but it's black and white, isn't it? Yeah. But well, better this than time I text. think the most of the magazine was black and white by the eighty or late eighties, wasn't it? Most I don't know. It was a bit later than that. You only had color pages here and there. Yeah, it's so. expensive to do four color process versus mm. one yeah. color. So, um, yeah, it was a very uh, massive game. I mean, I don't think I got very far in it. I don't think any of us did. Um, yeah, I think Steve, if I remember. Mentioned that the uh, the amount of graphics, like it's all tile based, so it's compressed based on the tiles. But basically, it's yeah. five megabytes worth of graphics if you do the full map. So, and there's what four different levels, kind of, or four different areas that you can get to. Yeah, like there's stuff you can only get to with the balloon, and yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, the type of game that when I was a kid I would have really enjoyed. I never did have this one, but. I enjoyed the other Pitfall games when I was younger, so I definitely would have enjoyed this one. I just want to give a big shout-out to Buck Owens because I didn't have time to do it, and he beat me to it. Uh, getting the 6-9 through nine patched version by Sockmaster fixed up so you only got three players instead of 255 or whatever the heck the default yeah. was in the other one. CSC. Yes, sir. Because so it makes a big difference. The 6-9 through nine version of this game literally plays about twice as fast. Is that roughly right, Ken? Uh, I wouldn't say quite twice as fast, but a, quite, quite a bit faster. Yeah, it's a lot smoother. This was a Coco three game only. Yeah, is that yeah, correct? yeah. One hundred and twenty eight k on cartridge. I think if you on had cartridge. disc, you need two fifty six or higher. Or two fifty six. Okay. 
Well, did it come out on disc or was it just a cartridge? Cartridge, game? only cartridge. Cartridges. Yeah, so it would have been a, if you had a burned copy of it, you needed two hundred fifty-six k. A backup copy. A no, backup no. copy. Your a backup copy of... required more RAM. Yes. <laughs> a backup copy of your cartridge. Correct which language. I'm yeah. sure that Steve loved if people did that. <laughs> oh yeah, he loved archivists. <laughs> By the way, Frederick uh, Provencia in the chat is saying, "Back in the day, I ruled Super Pitfall. Got scores up in the millions, but I tried last night and struggled. I've lost all my skills." Aww. I think most of us think, can sympathize yeah, with that. We pretty much all have. <laughs> So, um, I don't know. Anybody got any tips or tricks about uh, playing Super Pitfall? It's uh, um, other than just you're going to have to memorize the map, the map somewhat yeah. because if you you'll fall off a ladder and it'll fall into a pit of fire yeah, or spikes can, or something. You can make a map of it. It's a lot easier. I think I drew one back nice. in the day, but I would have to dig it out. Yeah, quite expensive. The, sometimes when you see the cartridge, it, it makes you want to play it. And then when you try it and stuff, he's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I find it a fun like game. I've forgotten all the maps too, so I didn't get that far either. But... Yeah, it's just like playing a new game then. I thought the game <laughs> was much. great, but the music just sounded off. Like a flattened fifth out of tone or something. Actually, so does the, the six or nine off. version play the music? I can't remember. I didn't have my. Yes, it yes, does. It, it does. If you're it's playing the 6309, that's probably the reason, is that it's... Yeah, if he's running native, no, 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 if he didn't adjust the timing, it would be off. Talking back in the day, it sounded off. Oh, okay. Like yeah, I think it's still the same, but it's just repetitive. It just drones yeah, that over, and over and over and... <laughs> like you know, every game ever made. Go, yeah, basically. you get Nick to redo the music for that game, and then it'll be ultimate. That's but, right. Well, you don't have to wait. You can just get... Uh, or you just done. turn the music off. He did, he did like offer the shutting off the music, though, in the game. Yep. I mean, that's one, one he thing. He does have that, yeah. So that's all good games. You're able to shut the music off. <laughs> Easy to reach the volume knob on a CM8 without the door on. <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, then you get no sound effects either. Yeah, that's so. true. I can live with that. If it's if it's a choice between the uh, repetitive music of most of the games or the uh, not hearing the sound effects, I'll take the not hearing the sound effects. Well, when you're kids, you usually make up your own, right? Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so quick, digitize those. Adults, we make up our own. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, they're a little more advanced now. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. No, it's no, still pew pew. You don't have any pull your finger events over there. <laughs> I work in addiction recovery. Um, there's plenty of pull your finger events over here. Okay. <laughs> no, it's it, it's a good game. There's a lot to explore, and and some of the areas, as Ken was mentioning, actually get to be quite a bit different. So you start seeing new things, like there's floating ice platforms that will sink when you jump on them and then you go into a pit of ladder if you don't jump off them you got a balloon that will navigate you through kind of like uh, pitfall 2 did there's that giant stone face that comes after you, and you have to figure out that you have to jump on a ladder above it and let it go underneath it and then trap itself in a hole like there's a bunch of stuff that you kind of explore and discover as you go i quite like the game actually even the slower version for the second yeah, it was a lot right. of fun it was just slow but it was it was smooth the graphics are really well done i think monique did those if i remember correctly 
and yeah. she was a good graphic artist so that was probably one of his visually more impressive think of games the insight as as of a... making these games slow so that we can play them when we get older yeah that's exactly <laughs> what he was thinking when he made the game yeah. in 45 years when people are revisiting this game when yeah. they're old exactically. and they're the, so used to the 639 that we've never heard of uh, version running too fast and they the can graphics, slow it back down the graphics are big and chunky so they can see them with their bad eyesight and the gameplay is slow so you can react with your slow reaction time why, why well, don't six, we have turbo buttons on our new our computers now same reason. i know a few people back in the day that did actually it would be your high speed poke click on yep. off thing. Also had a pause True. button. You had a halt switch on the CPU that actually would stop the machine and pause it, and then you can go off and have lunch and come back and pick up, even if the game itself didn't support that. Hmm. Now, as far as tips or tricks on Super Pitfall, aside from memorizing the maps, um timing shooting, say the frogs, so that yeah. when you shoot them, that you know the bullet doesn't just whiz by. Uh, the one annoying thing is, and I wish they had done it differently. Now, unfortunately, I think this is on the uh, other versions, like the the NEC PC six thousand one and the Nintendo, is those card suits that you're supposed to pick up those coins or whatever they are. Yeah, they're invisible unless you jump up near them or something like that. And I think the guns are like that too. So that's annoying. Like, why why did you do that? Just well, that's that's on the expert level. If you play the um, novice level, then they flash, so you can see them. Okay. I must default to expert then because I didn't have that. <laughs> it does. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, then my score should be worth more then because I played on expert. <laughs> the um, six three the six three oh nine version is about the right speed. The six eight oh nine one is a bit too slow. The other Nintendo one is too fast. So the 6309 yeah. version is about the right speed. That's one thing. Like I did try the Nintendo one at one point and it, is it was fast. annoyingly fast because you would zip down a ladder and before you could react to stop, you would be down too low and get hit by a creature that's just coming up from the bottom of the screen. Something so was... I learned in the late 80s was that a, a uh, expert is a has-been has drip. An expert is a has-been drip. Former drip under pressure. Oh, okay. An expert. <laughs> yeah, I got it after my Ah, uh, now I get it. <laughs> Jeez. Anyways, 60 uh, saying, hey, not to be a stuck record, you see what I did there, but block down card with the GMC, it's a GMC cartridge, uh, does vary the music as you go, and I think it's better not to disable it. Yeah, that's true. If you have you know, an actual sound chip, that's not going to take a lot of resources. Then you can actually have uh, some. Mind you, you can also have some pretty decent soundtracks in, in Cocoa games, depending on how they were done. Like Photon has different music playing for each level up to a certain point. And then um, Stuart Orchard's uh, Return of the excellent. Beast has an excellent, you know, Sid style musical soundtrack at the beginning, too, that lasts a couple minutes before it repeats. So. And I didn't say that all games have repetitive bad music. I said most games of that era have the repetitive yeah. bad music, even arcade games. Right, the the random notes that they just kind of played to try to make a soundtrack out of it. Oh my god! Or or they take a thing that's like, like two bars of four notes each, and that's just what it repeats over <laughs> yep. and over until you want to scream. <laughs> We've got lots of games like that on the Coco. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Robocop, Super Pitfall. Does Frogger do that? Repeat. Su 
Many versions of it do. That's just rivet. Rivet. At least with um <laughs> at least with jumping Joey, you uh can go one whole screen before you're like, turn it off, turn it off. Right. Yeah, you can go through like each of the three levels and jump yeah, into each of like right, right. different all three levels, and then you're like, okay, off. <laughs> that sounds like when I was playing uh, music on my Coco when I was younger. My wife would come in and go, "Can, can you just turn that down a little bit? <laughs> just turn it down." <laughs> no, <laughs> I want to hear the bass. <laughs> I think Marco fell asleep. No, he's playing on his phone. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Fred says that uh, anyone to get to the Easter Island head, that's a stone statue head I was talking about earlier. Um, thought it was really cool when I first saw it back then, way back then. And actually, same thing. I remember finding that it was like, holy cow, there's this huge head, you know, following you in this corridor, and you're you can't stop and you can't jump it. So you have to jump up to a ladder and kind of dodge, or was it dodge up over the hole that it has to fall into to pin it down? I did not get that far. I didn't this time, but I, I do remember that. It's one of the better visuals. From back in the day. Anyways, a uh, really good game on the Coco 3. Even better if you're playing the 6809 version. 6309 version. 6309 version. No, I like the 6809 version better because it's the geriatric version. Yeah. I can react better. I'm old. I'm good with this. This is sex, Sonny. I'll get this guy yet. (laughs) Of all the uh, cartridges that Tandy released, it's one of the the better ones. Yeah, I, I think visually, like just the graphics, the tiles, the sprites, etc. I think it's one of the best ones Tandy put out. To be honest, yeah. That I mean, gameplay is is a little slow, like like we mentioned, but uh, visually, it's a pretty striking, good looking game. Yeah. All right, and the other game that we were playing this week was Buried Bucks, and. Uh, yeah, we discovered a few things about that game, playing it uh, the other night on the live broadcast. Like, for instance, don't make your hole too deep because if the dollar sign hits the bottom of the screen, it disappears. And I think then you get stuck in a loop that your um, level won't end if the dollar sign disappears. Yeah, it has a few bugs from what I saw. Yeah. Um, I guess... Tips and tricks for that game are uh, if you run out of ammo, obviously you have to go back to your base and land and refill. You can only carry one dollar sign at a time. And when you're digging a hole with your shots, it's best to actually drop into the hole as you're firing because you uh, you can, you can only fire, fire once at a time, so you can rapid fire a lot better. But don't keep doing it because you keep pushing the dollar sign down too. It's a yeah. lot, like you said, yeah. I found that that diagonal shooting would help a little bit because it would give a wide range where it would try to drop the bombs, and then you could try to, you know, navigate to get to some of the deeper buried bucks. Yeah. Um, I also found that if you do the diagonally shooting, it uh, creates some holes that sometimes the plane will try to drop bombs on that to fill it, rather than right on top of you. So, so build, uh, make um, other holes. Um, yeah, definitely a fairly unique game. I don't know if I've ever played anything like it. Uh, Mark Bosley, we're getting a report yep. both from Henry here in our internal chat, plus Scott Cooper, that we've lost half the crew. Like basically only half of us is showing up on the stream. Um, 
Well, I've uh, got the people that have video actually enlarged. Uh, yeah, so anybody that's just showing a uh, a photo isn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, showing like, up. The, like the bottom of the panel, because uh, if they're not showing a screen, then eh. and they aren't doing anything. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to see their ugly pictures. My power has <laughs> been jumping in and out, so I have actually physically jumped off five or six times in the last seems. So, okay, anyway. so my, so my uh, tongue-in-cheek statement of feature report has been filed. It actually is a feature, not a bug. There you go. Yep. Um, I don't know which way I like that, because, I mean, it's kind of handy if you just join the show lately to know who's actually on the panel versus, you know, half of them are gone. Yeah. Well, I go back and forth. I went out and shoveled a little snow. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have live-streamed that. What, five inches? <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, Buried Bucks is definitely an interesting game. <laughs> yeah, the said, controls need... take a while to get used to because you fly over and you figure you can just start bombing straight down. Nope, you got to turn it so that your copter faces yeah. the middle, and it tends to shift a bit. So you think you're dead center over it, and you turn. Nope, I'm not. It's a uh, it's a little difficult. It's a yeah, it's a it's a good game to try out for a little bit, but it's not one you want to play for a really long time. Yeah, I think the game premise is good. The controls yeah. need a bit of help is the main main thing. All right. Well, let us talk about Thursday night show. Since Sloopy's not here, I guess I'll talk about it. So, um, as you can see, we had about five people generally playing games and both games were being played. And I guess we are having quite a bit of fun. So um, I don't know why more people aren't showing up to that. Come on, people. Thursday nights, where are you? Are you doing something better than playing a Coco game? Yeah, I was sleeping. <laughs> and it doesn't have to. Be, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the Coco, the Game on Challenge of the Week game. It could be any Coco game. So if you want to get me announced on the scores, you at least have to play one of the current. Yeah. So I was busy see, that uh... night not playing Neutroid. <laughs> well, this is also the same night I think the uh, Glenside meeting was on too, wasn't it? Oh, yes, probably. Yes, it was. That's where I was. As you can see, Jim there is playing uh, Buried Bucks, and it's a pretty quick game, actually. Like it. Yeah, well, I went At to bed points, early so I could get up and drive through a snowstorm. <laughs> At times with big bucks or uh, buried bucks, you kind of wish there was a bit of a slowdown poke for the Coco. Yeah. Actually, watching the video reminded me of one other thing on Super Pitfall. I forgot. Uh, you can jump onto a ladder Yep. Up, up in the air. You yeah. don't have to like walk to the bottom and then climb up. You can actually jump and catch onto it. And that is a real time saver and also makes you safer in certain situations. So. No, yeah, Steve York, Steve York took this uh, Super Pitfall game and uh, did another game called um, Mine, Mine Rescue. Rescue. Mine Rescue, yeah. Was it much different of a game, or? Yeah, that one you have the to take air canisters and rescue miners. So you have to find the miners, and then you uh, drop an air canister in their lap to rescue them, and you right. have to just do that. Um, so it's not shooting and stuff per se. It's, it's kind of a cross cool. between Pitfall and Hero. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That jump did save a heck of a lot of time. Top left. Wow. 
All right. So Thursday nights, uh, whatever time the show is for you, it's five o'clock for me. So 8 p.m. Eastern. You can work that out for yourself. 5 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> Second Thursday of next week in Australia. Exactly. <laughs> And for the next week, we'll be playing Buried Bucks again, which you can see in the upper right corner there. Absolutely. What is the new game, Ken? Now, this is one to keep in our um, theme of digging games. Mine rescue. Just a little little, uh, teaser there. Is it a Kilgis game? Oh, this is a Cuthbert game. Why, yes, yes, it is. Six, he will know it, but he's about a 20-second time delay, so we'll wait. (laughs) Do you know the name of it, Curtis? Yes, I do. Okay. Cuthbert goes goes up a ladder. (laughs) (laughs) As long as there are no frogs. Nope. It's a clone of an arcade game, and we've got several clones in the Cocoa. This is one of at least three or four that I know of. Sixty said, Cuthbert goes digging. Absolutely, that is exactly what it is. So there are no frogs because that would be Cuthbert goes gigging. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Or Cuthbert goes ribbit or something. So Cuthbert goes digging is a um, clone of Panic, which I think Space Panic. Space Panic. Yeah. Now Space Panic, the arcade, and then we've got Color Panic by Spectral. We've got Cuthbert goes digging by Microdeal, and what the heck was the third one? so you can play any version of the digging game, can you? Is that absolutely uh... not? <laughs> <laughs> We've got two games with that we're playing. We're playing Buried Bucks <laughs> and Cuthbert Goes Digging. That's it. Yeah. No more old old Troid. Huh. Scott Cooper says Cuthbert Goes Dig About. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You probably should explain the premise of the game, though, in case people have not played it. And oh, well, want to try if you've it. never played it, um, you basically you run around and you dig a hole to drop the creatures down into. And um, do you bury them again in this one, or does it bury them automatically? I think you have to at least hold the button down to to bury it again. Yeah, basically force it through. And if you can line up holes vertically, and you can get one on the top, and it goes through multiple levels, you get bonus points for each level that falls through. So when I rack up your points, you can do that. And on later levels, you can bury them or or dig a hole and let them go through. But then it has to get through multiple layers before it even dies. And if you wait too long, it'll crawl back out and come after you. So. And did Tandy in the U.S. sell this game? No, I noticed that because if you look at the, hey, it says yes, it was licensed by Tandy from uh, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, UK only. In the UK, yeah. This actually showed up in the Rear Shack catalog in the UK. Uh, yeah. Along yeah, with Donkey did, King yeah. and a few others. So it was only Tandy UK. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't think it showed up in the Australian one, I don't think. No. And Mark, just just Mark yours Mark and... Uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, Marco, I will not accept scores from Apple Panic. Nah. <laughs> That's actually the first Space Panic I ever played was Apple Panic. I hadn't even played Yeah, it was for me yeah. too. Yeah. What about you know, fruit say, panic? Uh, names means means something. What do you think would Cuthbert mean? Um, 
Don't know it was kind of a mascot for the dragon, so it can mean absolutely anything. They called uh, uh, Trapfall, I mean, they renamed to what was it, Cuthbert in the Jungle or something? Right. I mean, uh, there was a Saint Cuthbert a long time ago. There was a Saint Cuthbert. Did they Cuthbert means he who wanders yeah. aimlessly. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the guy. Okay. Makes sense. He who wanders pixel perfect. <laughs> By the way, Retro Techie's calling you out there, Ken. Said, is the goat Canadian retro things here? The greatest of all time? Uh, no, I ain't here. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know you had a Patreon. Oh, by Chris Durris is saying Cuthbert goes digging, did not run his Gimme X. I thought I ran out of mine, but maybe I was hmm. playing my other Coco 3. I, I might have to try that. I don't see why it wouldn't. It's I don't have a, a Gimme X, so I don't game. care. I find this amusing <laughs> on the, uh, the Color Computer Archive, the picture of the case where uh, Cuthbert goes digging for the Tandy TRS-80, it says on the screenshot there, actual picture of screen on Dragon 32. Oh, really? I, I suppose so. <laughs> They're <right>? different? <laughs> You're going to notice? Anyway, 16K, um, joystick required, I think. I don't think it plays keyboard. Either I remember. Uh, I know. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, there's this guy that has this website. Uh, that Yeah, but I know. I wouldn't trust him. Stuff. Usually he's fairly close. Let's see, and I agree, sixty. That that would be a weird thing for it not to work in a Gimme X. It's not a complex game. It's just a P mode one sixteen k graphic game. It should not affect the Gimme X at all. Mm-hmm. I'll have Other to try computer, that. Computer one, two, or three sixteen k RAM cassette or thirty two k disc. Okay. Also, if you have a Dragon, you can play because it, it was also available on the Dragon. So. Okay, that's that's <laughs> that for the game on challenge. By the way, Retro Techie's got a bit of a request here in the chat. He says, "Anyone have a Coco Three they want to donate to Science? Science being my nickname." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say good luck with that. Hey Ken, are you gonna support when people play on the Dragon? I will support it. Yes, people can play it on the Dragon. That's fine. Meh. What? Dragon Is there an MC10 dragon? version? No. Not that I'm aware of. Jim Rye will have one out this weekend. Right. Jim Gary. Jim Gary. Or Jim Gary, Gary. sorry. Yeah. Or if you might sneak one out too. Just name it something weird. Sixy gave a tip. Shift to dig, space to fill. Oh, Sixy uh, is saying it does work with keyboard controls. At least okay. on the Dragon version. So maybe it does actually work in the Coco. I never tried it, to be honest. You have to figure out what shift is on the Coco and what space is on a Coco. Yeah, it's probably two different keys. Well, of course, that's a different map, different keys, right? One of, one of the Cuthbert yeah, games Tom Mix briefly sold in North America because they would kind of do that cross-licensing because they were selling The King and a bunch of others to the UK. I can't remember if it was it was Walkabout or if it was uh, Panic. Or Cuthbert Goes Digging, I should say. It's one of those two, but they, there might be a already pre-done version for the Coco in North America that might work the keyboard controls. Wish Cuthbert goes gigging had come up before the uh, Frogger challenge. Yeah, would I would have written a Cuthbert Frogger. It would be based great. On that premise. <laughs> Do it. Well, no, the anyway, done now. It was high score challenge two weeks ago. Should have had it done. Yeah, now. no more, no more Frogger clones. No, no more, more Frogger, Frogger scores. High score. Yeah, and, and no those. more doing uh, an entire genre of game like that. Even for if a it's game on Cuthbert challenge. with a 
that, that was too much work for poor Ken and Sleepy. I think that that uh, as an experiment that we tried, it didn't really work. So what are you talking about, Sloopy? <laughs> <laughs> he just sat there and laughed at me. <laughs> um. Yeah. So shall we move on Dead to the here. news? Ah, uh, sure. Do the game on news first. You want to do your little intro thing? Actually, I'll I'll do a couple of the announcements first, but you can play the game on intro right now if you want to. Okay. Okay, okay, so the first uh, I'm going to share are a couple of interviews we've got coming up. And uh, one of them actually is here as a guest on the panel today, and he's our interview next week. And I will uh, show his uh, homepage on YouTube. And Henry, if you want to kind of mention what your page is about and the fact that we're bringing you in for uh, an, a proper interview next week. There we go. That's better. Oh, yeah, I just basically, um, I'm looking at going back down to the, the hardware level on, you know, playing the games, playing with uh, the Coco the way that I never played with as a, as a kid, and building stuff, seeing what kind of stuff works, doing weird experiments, screwing up, you know, fixing it, and you know, hopefully somebody gets a good laugh out of it in the process. Okay, we'll be covering your latest video, because actually you've got it, you, you have these sweeping projects that take multiple episodes to get through. Uh, so your current one is a Kelco custom ROM. So you're kind of like doing uh, what Colin J. Stearman did for Rainbow back in the day, except he was just more adding, you know, you know, new commands to a basic ROM type thing. But you're kind of going right from scratch. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. I mean, this is one's going to take a while because, you know, I had no idea just like how big of a project it would be. And then I start looking into fourth implementations and I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is going to take some work. So that <laughs> will be an ongoing thing. I might break out and do a couple other things in the mean, uh, in the middle of it, but hey, you know. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll go into more details on that, uh, both the ones you've already recorded and then also the project that you're kind of planning for your channel uh, next week and, and get into your history with the Cocoa and stuff too. So, But definitely go oh. check out his channel. He just released this one, I think, was it yesterday? The latest yeah, episode? last night. Now, do you have, uh, before we let you go, do you have a fixed schedule or you just basically try to get one a week or you, or you just whenever you get them done? I try to get one a week and I try to get them out on Fridays. Okay. Anyway, definitely check out his channel. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about his latest video actually when we get to the regular news too. So, but he's our interview guest next week. So be here, be square. And then the next one after that, this one got rescheduled last week. Uh, Glenn Delgren will be appearing again uh, for an interview. Uh, he's going to be talking about the release of the final book in his series. Uh, this fantasy novel, but he's also found a lot. If you guys were on Facebook in the Coco group, you probably saw a bit of a teaser. He found some stuff, uh, you know, promotional materials, et cetera, that he has for Sundog, including some stuff that even he had forgotten about over the years. Like apparently he got a custom Sundog watch made at some point, uh, which I'd never seen even at his booth back in the eighties, uh, meeting him at Coco Fest and Rainbow Fest before that. So you'll be seeing some uh, rarer, um, you know, paraphernalia uh, from the game development days of Sundog, which was the premier uh, Coco game company after DICOM shut down, uh, basically for the Coco 3. They did a ton of stuff. Uh, we've covered some of it before. Some of it, I think we've actually played some of their games on the challenge, or have we, uh, Ken? 
Nope, oh, Ken might have stepped away. I, I know to... there's a few we haven't touched yet, but uh, we'll have to maybe try to jury rig one of those for the that that date. Anyway, that's the two uh, interviews we got currently booked. So that one's on February the third, and then Henry's next week on January the twentieth. If you have any questions, please queue them up, and we'll monitor the chat room and we'll forward them to our guests. And then after that, to go through some of the upcoming shows, just as reminders, one one of these is actually coming up pretty quick here. So uh, let's share that screen. So the first one is uh, VCF Southern California. Now, I believe this is actually the very first one they've done. I don't think this is the one that has come back since a long hiatus like uh, some other shows have done, like the one in Dallas. But this is a brand new one they wanted to get going. And I know there's been some interviews with the people that are actually organized this particular one uh, recently on YouTube. I don't have the links of those handy, unfortunately. But uh, if you hit uh, www.vcfsocal.com, you can get the details. But it's actually on February 17th to the 18th in Orange, California at the Hotel Fair Events Center. Um this is the one that one of the people that bought some of the Steve Bjork estate sale stuff is actually going to be bringing some stuff to the show, or at least planning on it. One of the things he's planning on bringing is Steve's Coco One um, motherboard repackaged into a tier setting Model 3 with a Model 3 keyboard. So if you want to catch a glimpse of that, maybe take some pictures for us too. There um, definitely you know, would be worthwhile maybe getting a attendance of that show just so you can get that. And he might bring some of the other stuff that Steve had at the estate sale too that we've not even seen before. So I'm, I'm hopefully one of us uh, in the Cocoa Nation and in the general Cocoa community can make it down to the show on the 17th and 18th, which is literally just a hair over a month away. Next up after that, the Interim Computer Festival, which is kind of hoping to become VCF again. Uh, this is one that did used to run as a VCF official event and then kind of shut down. I think, Mark, you mentioned it was just before COVID is the last one or was it before that that it kind of disappeared? Yeah, it was. Uh, they did it for two years, and they had a third one scheduled. And then, basically, you know, just a few weeks uh, before uh, after COVID hit, they canceled it. So, um, so twenty twenty, and they haven't had one since. Okay, and that's coming up in just two short months. That's March twenty third to twenty fourth, um, at the uh, Interspace at Seattle, Washington. So Ken's actually pretty close. I don't know if Ken's planning on attending. Ken went to the last one, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's going to make this one, but I hope he does because I'm planning on being at this one. Yeah, I'm hoping Mike is both make it. Going to actually get a good cocoa presence there, so It'd be great. Plus, the more attendees that get, the better chance it becomes an official VCF event too, as well. Exactly. And of course, the big show for us cocoa people is the 32nd annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest, uh, which is happening on May the fourth. May the fourth be with you. And 5th of 2024 at the same hotel as it was last year, which is in Carroll Stream. It's a Holiday Inn and Suites. As we mentioned, we're kind of filling up with tables. So if you want to be a vendor for this, um, it's $30 per table, I believe. Um, but there's only five tables left, and they've only been up, you know, available for grabs for less than two weeks. So they went rather quick, I think, you know, record-setting quick compared to previous years. So if you want to have a table for either selling stuff or doing repairs or just uh, – to show off some things. Uh, I will mention that Brian Weasler has rented three tables because he's going to need it for all the stuff he's bringing down. So there's another little teaser for you guys. You've seen one of the things that he's going to be showing off there, the Deluxe Coco, but there's more. So this will definitely be a special one this year. Three long tables. 
And speaking of, uh, I refreshed this this morning, and these are the only five tables left, the ones that do not have red X's through them. And those are the $30 tables. The longer ones are 40 Yeah. And, and that, Brian is taking this whole corner here because he's bringing a lot of stuff. You popped me up. There's a kind of a nicer map that's current Man. as of today. And that pink thing by the lobby door, that is not a tape. That is where the beverages are. Oh, this here? Yeah, that's beverages. That's not a table that you can buy. <laughs> We can clear that off. Let me say, you were saying, Rick, about a what? Rick oh, my highlight map. has the uh, the map as of today with all the people with all the names of where people are yeah. instead of just Texas. You'll have to stop. Oh, yeah, curse. yeah, they're down down here, but yeah, there's a list at the bottom. Well, right, but yeah, Rick has a map that has the name on top of the table, <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. don't have to translate. But we caught Mark away from his post, so no, there you go. I, Curtis has to stop sharing. Oh. oh, okay. There yeah. you go. Okay, so anyway, all See, that one turns differently, though. All that's left is here. Otherwise, and so you can see who you would be near. Uh, we don't <laughs> see your cursor, but basically the uh, right-hand side lower, pink tables. Yeah, right. bottom There's right like corner. A, a victory V down there for the last. The right-hand side, the other left. In any case. Yeah, table. this is definitely one show you want to make. Um, this it's going to be. Yep. I mean, if the table selling out this fast is any indication, we're probably going to break an attendance record uh, compared to last year. And you know, it's been gradually going up the last decade. Um, kind of like VCF did. We're kind of following their footsteps. We're even following them between hotels as we go here. And, you know, if we fill up these five tables and then some, we'll be out in the hallways and not quite out in the parking lot like VCF was. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're both expanding, which is good. Well, we hope to see as many Brian as you can. Last year. Where was that? That's the same place Brian was last year. Yeah, except he only had two tables, if I remember, because didn't him and Jason kind of expanding? Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. right next to Brian, and uh, I've I wanted I opted for a different spot this year, so that made it real easy for Brian to be able to expand. And he's close to the load outdoor, so it's all good. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. He, he he set up Nick close to the coffee. Well, uh, hopefully, well, the coffee's way cocoa. across the room. Yeah. Jason's well, next to the coffee. Oh, yeah, that? Jason's got the coffee. What's that pink there by the lobby? That's the coffee, coffee? and yeah, and ho I'm hoping hot cocoa, coffee and tea cart. That's the one I got in trouble for because I drank all the coffee the first day. So, and oh, then no. Grant told me how much that cost. So, how many gallons of air are we allowed? Yeah, exactly. As many as you want to pay for. <laughs> I'll just bring my French press. Yeah. When well, Ken was joking, like he used to run a coffee shop that he was going to bring his whole, you know, kit and caboodle from his actual well, coffee shop year, in, in BC. But that'd be kind of fun. Labs had a coffee maker at their table. Shots of cocoa espresso. Right, that'd be awesome. Right oh, in the middle dear. bottom there. So let's see if he brings that this year. Yeah, don't well, forget, we also have that private uh, little office room we use, too, so we can put a coffee maker in there as well, you know. Mm. And let's not forget, as I, I've mentioned several times during the show today, that there is a coffee. I'm sure they have coffee next door at the truck stop. Yeah, oh, but yeah. that's that's yeah. truck stop coffee. That could that, be that, like a day old. And... <laughs> it depends. It depends because modern truck stops now have like Insta Brews where they'll grind up the beans for you. And like yeah. right there, and as part of the brewing thing, and I, I think truckers are getting much more savvy about their coffee. I will say that coming through North Dakota, they do not have that. So, 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, maybe this year they will. Who knows? Maybe they're catching up. I think the signs <clears throat> for North Dakota, when you drive in North Dakota, they say, welcome to North Dakota. Are you sure you're not lost? <laughs> Please excuse the cows. Oh, wait, that's South Dakota and Gateway. <clears throat> um, anyway. Danny Breed in the chat says, gosh, I can't wait while I was waiting for today's show to come on. I was napping and I had a horrible dream that Coca Fest was over already. You might be thinking the virtual one. So please, uh, you know, get some people to volunteer to do some seminars for that. Contact Mark. Anybody, and there's some please. speculation that the reason it's not working might be a 6309 emulation problem if the uh, Cuthbert game is using some illegal instructions for timing or somebody broke the copy protection wrong or mm. something. We've encountered that before. So that's a possibility too. Well, we'll investigate that uh, after the show. Anyway, uh, if you want to sign up for a table or you want to sign up to get the um, the supper, which, uh, Grant, is he still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Just in case people missed it last week, what is the, the cost of the dinner and what do you get for that? Uh, it's $45 a plate. It's uh, what uh, pulled pork, uh, barbecue brisket, mac and cheese, buttered corn, baked beans, uh, a drink, side salad, and uh, dessert. Okay, thank you. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's time to break for dinner. Onward. Hey, yes. you ask. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. I probably should share the screen again. All right. I think. Is that the right one? There you, go. you guys are singing the boat fest, and I got the right one. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, we have boats. Okay. So the next one is a generalized retro show, uh, Boat Fest. This is the third annual, <clears throat> June 14th to 16th, 2024, the social event space in Hurricane, West Virginia. And this covers all retro machines, both consoles and computers. Sometimes they bring, like, you know, modern uh, video uh, versions of pinball there's some repairs and stuff going on because Frank from Retro Rewind is an official sponsor. So they'll, they'll do stuff for your Cocos and they'll do stuff for Commodore 64s and Vic-20s and Amigas, etc. It's a lot of fun. It's a very casual style event. Um, I will be going again this year, I'm hoping. And I think Ken's going to try to make it down there too. So we'll have some Coco representation. And at the exact same weekend, and I, I was really torn between these two, but uh, Boat Fest for me is a bit cheaper to get to. So I'm going to save this one for next year is VCF Southwest, which has actually just returned after an almost decade-long pause, I believe. And, of course, this is in Dallas at the uh, Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas in Dallas. And, of course, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth is where Tandy was, the Tandy Towers, et cetera. So there's a lot of Tandy guys out of this one. Mark Siegel made it last year. They had a panel of a bunch of the uh, Tandy people talking about development of the Videotex, the Coco, the Model 1, et cetera. So there's a lot of history and a lot of folks that were involved directly with that history at that at the show. I don't think they're doing an official panel this year, at least not that I've heard. But I do believe that they are a bunch of them are going to be coming and kind of hanging out together. So if you're down at this one and you want to you know get some tandy history from the guys that made it, um, you, you probably should be able to find most of them around the show floor at some point or other. And that's all for the shows for now. Um, I will wait on mentioning anything about VCF Midwest uh, once they officially announce the new venue. 
which is basically bigger to handle a larger size crowd because uh, they had what three to four thousand people I think last year and they were out in the parking lot and filling the hallways and everything else already at a bigger venue that we're at already so I will hold off and give you details on that until we get the official venue so people can actually start booking hotels. Okay, now game on news. Make sure I got the right window selected here. Okie dokie. So <clears throat> the first one up here, uh, Jim Jewett, uh, not a name I'm familiar with, but uh, he, on the Cocoa Group and Facebook, he's actually posted some videos of a multitude of basic games that he's done. And my understanding is I think some of these were actually written back in the day so he's kind of like found them again and they put videos up now being basic they're a bit slow but they're actually quite well presented and uh you know if he learned a bit of machine language subroutines or maybe you know figure out one of the compilers or something i think he probably could make some pretty decent games out of some of these so the first one here is an attempted star wars death battle um which i'll play just a little clip of it here and i think he's using the scaling of the drawing command to kind of like you know, scale the the tie fighters and stuff. Kind of looks like Vectrix ish. <laughs> yeah, he's using the highest res mode here. He's not even worried about color. He's just trying to get it, you know, looking good. But you can see that the Death Star is actually, you know, increasing in size as you get closer to it. And I mean, obviously it's slow because it's basic, but, uh, you know, if somebody expanded this to be machine language speeds, this actually wouldn't be too bad. So that was the first one he posted. And next up, he showed a battle zone that he was attempting to work on at the time, a uh, joystick-driven game. And he's got it laid out pretty close to the original arcade game. And, of course, he's using the same you know, P-Mode 4 green screen for the highest res with uh, as little artifacting as possible. And he's actually got you know the rectangular shapes and stuff. Now, as you can see from the graphics there, it's kind of like drawing over its, itself and stuff there. So it's you know not ready for prime time yet, but... Uh, Definitely a good attempt in basic. Um, scalable graphics and a little bit. He's even got the radar up the upper left corner. And then one of his earliest games that was called Slope, so Daniel's skiing game. This is the you know the standard, you know, move around on the screen left to right as the screen scrolls up type thing, which is I think something all anybody who's done any basic program has written one of these at some point or another. Um so this this is a simpler one, but it's basically you'll steer your skier down through the uh, the pathway without hitting the edges. A lot faster than any one I ever wrote. <laughs> and then another one he did here is called uh, what does he call it here? Space War. And this one here is more of a text based game, somewhat with uh, kind of a Star Trekky feel. I guess is probably. Best way to describe it. It's got some nice, you know, status screens with you know actual bars for the uh, you know strength of your shields and your photons, etc. But I just thought it was interesting that he, he kind of popped into the Facebook. I haven't really seen too much of him before, and you know, he found a bunch of his old basic games he wrote back in the eighties, I'm guessing, and uh, you know posted videos of them all up there so people take a look at them. That was kind of interesting to get the kind of the history. And he had some good ideas here. Um, basics not you know fast enough to really do too much with it, but. Interesting, just running at double speed on a Kogel 3 and just see how much of an improvement that would make. Next up, is Terry Steggy still on the call? I don't think he is. Is he? 
No, he left us. Okay. So anyway, T, uh, he put this up in here. I think he, if I remember correctly, he described it. Uh, somebody was asking how to run Coco Games in an emulator. So Terry did a brief two and a half minute video here, kind of showing up, setting up VCC, and then mounting a disc image. And the particular game that he chose to do was Shock Trooper by Mark Data Products. Um, I won't bother playing the video here, but uh, basically if you have some friends or you're, you yourself are trying to figure out how to set up VCC to get it up and running, and that's probably the easiest emulator out of the, the three main ones to set up um, with x being very, very close to it, if, if not on par at this point. Um, then you can just take a look at this quick little video and, and figure out how to do it. Anyway, it wouldn't be a complete you know uh, games uh, section of the show here unless we had a Jim Gary game featured mm -hmm. so he did one this week i mean he's cranked up quite a few over the holidays so he's been busy but uh, this is a version of crazy eights that he ported that was originally written by d curland in 1975 and he added some of the mc10 low-res graphics here because the original one i think was strictly text-based uh, of course crazy eights a rather popular card game um i think they even had special versions of cards made for the game itself too that you can play with a regular deck as well uh, but he added some of the suits and stuff here in colors, so you can actually kind of get the idea that you've got hearts and diamonds and clubs and spades, etc. So if you like Crazy Eights, you'll like that. Um, there's another version of Crazy Eights with a few minor changes to the gameplay that's also on EOU, uh, if you want to try that one as well. Now this one I'm hoping some of you guys know a bit more about than I do. So uh, Rutherford LeBlanc posted a screen or a photo actually of Canyon Clamor running on the RG 353 V running Arcos, which is all stuff. I don't have a clue what it is. So, um, and I, I've heard from reading the comments. It's not like this is a piece of hardware that's in beta and it's kind of like a, a handheld game machine. looks kind of like a game boy with a color screen type thing, like game, but color. Um, is anybody familiar with either Arcos or with the RG 353 V hardware? Um, I'm assuming it must be, but, I've seen it in recent YouTube videos just as a game thing with things bundled with it, but I have no knowledge of where it came from or where it's going. Other than it's it, making the rounds right now. It it, it emulates uh, MAME, and that's why the Coco's yeah, on there. Yeah, it's a stand game. Is, is it MAME or is it one of the other emulators? I don't even know, to be honest. MAME. Is it MAME specifically? I know. Mm -hmm. I know it runs a whole slug ton of games, so they're obviously. I mean, it's it's nice on. getting you know Coco games onto one of these little handhelds here with you know the the you know the D pad style controller stuff and four buttons and stuff, so you can play with three games with two buttons, etc. Um, I'm assuming they must have to come up with some sort of a menu to launch it game specific, because obviously you can't just sit there and type load M <laughs> or something okay. like that. So. Or is it limited to cartridge games only or something? Like, I don't know too much about this. So I was hoping maybe one of you guys would fiddle with it. And Arcos, is that like a a Linux derivative or something? Or anybody know what Arcos is? The OS? Nope. No, but it's got to be a Linux derivative. It just sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Hopefully <True. not. laughs> the battery time on it is a little longer than a couple of hours because you have to kind of figure out how to use it. And by that time, and you get a uh, game loaded, uh, it's like... Apparently, the hardware is really hot. It, it's good stuff. Now, the software, who knows yet. So, Arcos appears to be based on Ubuntu 19.10. has both a 64 and a, and a 32-bit user space. So, so okay. we, aren't, we aren't no wimpy little mobile thing here. We're... <laughs> well, wimpy little mobile things ain't so wimpy no more. 
that's what I'm saying. <laughs> this is, this could be a desktop as far as you know. You know. Yeah. yeah. I also like I don't know what the cost of this thing is, uh availability. Like I said, I saw some hints that it might still be in beta and it's only available to certain people and not. What was the name of the product sold. again? Uh RG three fifty three V. Someone mentioned That's, in the uh, chat a like, popular name um, that scrolled off now. Yeah, it looks like I can get it for about 80 bucks on AliExpress. I can get it for about 140 on Amazon. This is a... Oh, so it actually is a fully thing available thing then now. Yeah. 80 bucks for a color screen portable that can play Coco games. That's not a bad, bad, bad thing to have, I don't think. Uh, Android 11 and Linux system RK3566 64-bit game player. Yeah. Go go buy. Cool. Well, if anybody on the panel here ever gets one of these things, uh, bring it on the show. I'd love to see this thing in action. Or bring it to the fest. You know, we can add more stuff that people have to come see. Right, right. Okay, to an external monitor. Virtual fest. What was that, uh, Bob? I wonder if you can hook it to an external monitor. I have no idea. Henry, did you see anything mention of that when you were looking it up? Um, I'm looking at it and I don't see anything. Okay. Oh, wait, uh, supports moonlight streaming. Whatever. Do you that stream means. it to a TV or device then? Sounds like, like casting. Oh, yeah. Game. Screen share thing. Makes sense. Cool. We'll have to kind of follow up on that one there, I think, just to get some more details on. But if it's between 80 to 140 bucks and plays a wide variety of games of multiple, you know, game consoles and old, old home computers and the Coco's included in that, that's actually not a bad deal, I don't think. And I remember a big rave up about it. The problem is I watch so much YouTube that I don't remember the specifics of this product. You know, so I, <laughs> I don't want to say anything and then I'm thinking about something very similar. So but yeah, this is hot. I'm, I'm sure it is. Okay. Well we'll 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 table that for now and we'll kind of come back to it in the next the following weeks here as we find out a bit more information from it. Uh, next up, Matt Dar kind of did the same thing that Jim Jewett did earlier. He actually posted um, a quick little video of a game he wrote uh, when he's learning Color Basic and Extend Color Basic. And we covered a couple of the things he did last week because he's literally just going through it now. So he's just learning Color Basic, Extend Basic now. And he mentioned this was the first game he wrote when he started getting into the book. And the ones that we covered last week were kind of like he went through so many chapters and he decided to take what he'd learned and write something then and there. So this would be a, a much simpler one, of course, but... Uh, Nicely they'll present it. It's a little card game. Um, and rather than just, you know, drawing just a rectangle for the cards, he actually has a little bit of a border on and stuff. And it's just all basic stuff, but uh, I think it's something reasonably proud of because it's the first game he wrote. And it's not just one he typed in from the manual. It's one he figured out how to write himself based on what he learned from the manual. So it takes me back to when I first got my Coco 1 going through the manual and Instead of just going through like chapter six, here's the Russian roulette game type thing, you'd figure, oh, I can do something with these commands. I learned like R&D and all this stuff. And then you quickly code your own game. So it takes you a while to get through the manual because you're writing your own stuff, which is exactly how learning should be. Next up, this is a bit of a surprise to me. I did not, I was not aware Rick Adams was working on a new game. And at first glance, I thought, is he making another version of Kokotl? And uh, no, this is the lights out puzzle. Um and I saw a lot of jokes going about the four lights thing from Star Trek Next Generation. Um, but basically, click on the lights to change them and turn off all the lights to win. And for those that are on audio, it basically presents you with a five-by-five five grid 
a bunch of the uh, squares are black, a bunch of the squares are green. Um, and you have to turn them all off. Now, there must be some rules as to, because, I mean, obviously, you could just click them all off and you won, right? So there's always got some rules where maybe the adjacent ones invert or something. I'm not familiar with the Lights Up Puzzle game. Is anybody on the panel? If it is anything like the Merlin from back in the day, then when you press one button, it inverts the button you press, and it inverts the up, down, left, and right from what you press. Okay. Yeah, I remember that from the Simon game. That's a little red handled. Looks like a yeah. big cell That's phone. not a Simon. That's a Merlin. The Simon is the one. Oh, you sorry. Mentioned. Right. Simon's a four <laughs> disc thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Copy. Copy. Yeah. Yeah. I loved having the Merlin because it, it looked like a, it looked like a phone, so I could pretend that I, I'm like five, six years old, and I could pretend that I have a portable. Yeah. It looked phone. like a Motorola brick phone, the original ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, he's working on a new game. I'm assuming it's probably written in basic like he did Kokodalon, which means I'll probably have to port this to Nitrous 9 like I did Kokodal as well. So I'll let him finish though first. <laughs> uh, next up, Chronological Gaming had a couple of episodes or a couple of parts of a single episode actually that covered a couple of dragon games this time. Uh, the first one was um, called Mania, and it was for multiple platforms. Um, including the Specky and a few others, and the Dragon 32. But this is one of the first ones that actually had a contest for the players, and it's an adventure game. And basically, if you won the adventure game and you figured out the secret thing, you could actually win something worth £6,000 UK, which at the time, I think the pound was like $2.20 or 30 cents US. So like right. we were talking about a prize up in the uh, $14,000 range, which is pretty good. And cross-platform, so all the platforms could compete against each other. Um, I do remember a later one that used to have some sort of jewelry that I remember with, uh, there was a, even multiple games to it. You had to get clues from each of the games and then you could win it. I don't know if anybody won that one. I'll just play a little quick clip here just and kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, this is just talking about the Dragon version. but Dragon 32 in the United Kingdom. That's right. We're doing Pymania on everything. Just really brief stints of it. Can you get enough Pymania? I think we're going to have too much. It's the same box. Looks pretty much exactly the same. The Golden Sundial in Time and Space. Free appalling hypnotic disco theme music is on the cassette, apparently, with fully animated cartoon graphics, which we haven't even got to because we couldn't figure out the first part of the puzzle. There's the cassette. We're going to pop in our Dragon 32. Here you go. Some more Pie Mania. Again, in the beginning of September 1982. Now, for the people in the chat or have had experience with the Dragon, is has any of you actually played this game? I, I know the other one, I, I can't remember the name of it, that actually had the little jewelry that you could win. But was this a popular one back in 82 when this came out? Because this was in September of 82 that these games came out for the various platforms in, in the UK. Um, I do know he mentioned that somebody did win. He did find reference to the person that actually won the prize and where it was found because you had to figure out a physical real-life location to go to to, to to get the prize type thing. But uh, while I'm going on to the next one here, I'm kind of curious as to whether 60 or anybody else. Well, 60 is answered here. Isn't. I think Pi Mania was legit. The hair razor one was a scam. Yeah, hair yeah, razor. Hair razor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both are crap. I won't use the word to use. Um, <laughs> yes, they're both awful. Very, very awful. <laughs> Winnership. Yeah, but it's basically a text adventure game. I think this one he actually crashed on him. So uh, he had played it on the Spectrum, I think, or the BBC Micro was another one. So I'll just backtrack to one of those. But not much to show. It's just, uh, you know, the various you know, platforms it was on. But I, I can't remember any 
and you guys maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember any North American games that were cross-platform where you could win a prize. I do know some specific companies had you know prizes you win, like Atari had a few, etc. Uh, can anybody here think of any that were on multiple machines that you could actually win something for real? Now, I'm going to guess the golden hair thing was so weird, and then this guy copied him, and that was the end of it, because I've never heard of it anywhere else, but you know, it's like a British Isles kind of thing. Yeah, and this was done multiple times at British Isles because I do know of a couple, including you know a few for the dragon. This is just one of them. Yeah, it's, it's... So you win fourteen thousand pounds of what? Well, British yeah. pounds. That's money. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. I thought> <laughs> it's not, it's not a weight gain program. <laughs> I mean, I can remember Diacom had a competition with Gates and Delirium. We could win a Coco three or a free game. Or a baseball cap, a DICOM cap, but that wasn't cross-platform. Um, I can't think of it. Like I know there was quite a few companies like Adventure International and Epics and others that did cross-platform, so they had the opportunity to do so. But, yeah, but uh, I don't think this of, this concept was popular here as it was in the UK. Well, you're thinking of games extending somewhere else, where this was a overall quest that became a game. I mean, I'm sure some were done as books. I'm sure. Um, yeah, like Sixty says, the Pi Mania Prize was one eventually, and and uh, chronologically, game actually says that they actually told who the name of the winner is, where the prize was, so he has all the full details. If you want to watch that to get a bit of history behind it, you can do that too. It's the same guy that won that Gemini spacecraft out of the. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> well, this is back in September '82. I mean, I don't oh. know when the winner actually won. <laughs> I think I remember he said the announcement of the winner was in '83, so it probably took a couple months. And then the same episode, he went on and covered this one. Now, uh, it says uh, Sewer Rat and Raiders. What he's covering specifically here is Raiders. Now, Raiders, from the looks of it, from when he was looking through uh, magazines, ads, etc., originally came out in 1982, around September. So it's not too far off the launch titles of the Dragon. Uh, but the one he's picturing here was kind of a two-pack, and that actually came out in 84. Uh, 60, correct me if I'm wrong, or if, if you know Jeff's wrong on this one. Uh, but Raiders is a bit weird for me because when he brought it up the author is robert shaw now does that name ring a bell for anybody here in the coco community um as far as a game author goes just to check that trivia question yeah robert shaw yeah does it ring a bell for anybody i was hoping ken would be here to sorry go ahead oh it does sound familiar but i'm not placing it darn it right I'm here, and I don't know what, who he is. Oh, well, well, I'll mention the company he wrote for, Mark Data Products, if that helps, for what he wrote for here in North America. Daddy Burrito, bing, bing, bing. Yes, he, was he the shock, wasn't he the shock trooper guy? Yes, yep. he was. That's it. He also did Tut's Tomb. Like some of the better Coco 1 and 2 games, some of the better graphics and you know, great music and everything else, like the V theme song in Shock Trooper. Um. He wrote a text adventure game for the dragon before he did any of that. I had no idea. So I don't even know if he's, maybe he's from the UK. I didn't, I do not know. I just kind of assumed because of all the games I knew that he ever wrote were, you know, North American ones that I figured, you know, it's, he must live up here and that's why he got connected with Mark Data Products, but maybe not. The and dragon it's a text adventure game. Cool. Sorry. 
So for those of you who've never seen Robert's earlier efforts, because uh, Tut's Tomb and and Dragon Thirty Two Vortex Factor um, came out in the '84 uh, or '83 range. This Raiders, is '82. Only Raiders. Now not the box is sure interesting because I could not find the original Raiders. All I could find was the compilation. This is released in, I believe, 1984. So this box of Sewer Rat and Raiders. Had a, I don't know what Sewer Rat is yet. Cassette tape for it, so we we're able to play Raiders. But Raiders was released before this. I think, yeah, that's all we got with the spine Let's on the side. The computer will do as you command if you're lucky. <laughs> that sounds like every text adventure game. And act as your explorer. I think he had a crash the first time, too. And Sixie, if you're in the chats there still, is this one you've played before? No, he says, I know I can't say I've played either of those. Gosh, why is it taking so long? Anyway, it's just, it's just a standard text adventure game. I actually downloaded the image from the World of Dragon archive, and from the looks of it, it's kind of a basic program disguised as ML. <laughs> I'm looking at the disk image because I actually went through and figured out the keyword, you know, verbs and stuff. Um, but yeah, I had no idea Rob Shaw did stuff before, you know, the Mark Data arcade games he did, and for the Dragon, no less. So that was that was interesting. And as far as I know, there never was an official Coco version of this game ever released. That's it for the game on news. So we can switch over to the regular news. Mark, that's your cue. When you want the latest in TRS 80, Tandy, Dragon, MC 10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes or where news breaks, from around the world to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, so on to the bigger news. So the first one is from Ron Klein. He had a bit of an update on the Coco Pie project that he did January 6th. And I'll just quote him here. It says, I, it's been quite a while since my last project update here. Most of my activities behind the scenes when I have time, and I do frequent the Cocoa Discord server, specifically the Cocoa Pie channel. For current users or anyone interested in the Cocoa Pie distribution, I highly encourage that you join the Discord server and the Cocoa Pie channel in particular. There's a lot of good information there, including development updates, et cetera. And then he has the uh, invite there. But um, has anybody here on the panel got a Cocoa Pie that they've been keeping up to date? And I know one of the things they're they're working on right now is sixty four bit Cocoa Pie with the was it the Pi five is the latest one, is that right? I don't have a Pi, so I'm not totally on yes, top of these things the myself. Res Raspberry Pi five and the Raspberry Pi four have the latest distribution, um, which is based, I guess, on Debian twelve. So it's called Bookworm, and that's what uh, Ron has been trying to get up and running. He says it kind of works on the Pi three, but it takes a really really long time to build all the stuff. Because he basically takes the base distribution and then adds all the stuff that makes Cocoa Pie and all the development stuff. So you probably want to stick with a four gig Pi four or Pi five in order to uh, to actually build it yourself. Okay, so he hasn't got an actual release for it officially yet. That people can just download and go. It's still kind of a work in progress. Um, I think he's pretty close. If not, uh, has it out. I mean, at least I think he got everything to build anyway. 
I was involved on huh. helping build the uh, GCC 6809 stuff because I've done it a zillion times on various platforms. But. Yeah, because he's got like all the emulators. I think he's got MAME, XRAN, VCC, mm-hmm. and OVCC yep. on here. He's got that basic. Uh, UG basic, yeah. Micro basic. Yeah, UG basic. Yep. And that's so, had yeah, a you... lot of progress too. I didn't cover that in the news because uh, I'm kind of lost as to where they're at right now. I know he's been trying to figure out disk IO, I think is what he's been last word now. Yeah, I haven't been keeping up with the UG basic either, but I know the Coco 3 stuff's coming along, so. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff rolled up in the Cocoa Pie image. So, yeah. So if you have a pie, and it requires what at least a pie three or three B or something. I can't remember. Three uh, B, like I said, it's uh, it, it might take you a while to build everything with the three B. Um, but uh, if he has a pre-done image, you should be able to just download that and install it. You'll have everything as of that moment. But yeah, pie four and pie five are pretty easy to get the stuff and get it built. Okay. Cool. So anyway, if you're interested in that and you want some details or ask questions, Ron Klein himself, the person that's in charge of the project, is on our Discord and and does check regularly in that particular channel. So come and join the Discord if you haven't already. And if you have a a Raspberry Pi 3B or higher, um, you can get the project, which has a whole bunch of stuff pre-installed on it, which is nice and easy for you getting set up, et cetera. You can even run multiple windows with multiple things running at once if you want to try a couple things and um, give it a shot. Well, the 3B I have, uh, um, when this announcement came out, made me feel like uh, <laughs> 1990 when the Cocoa stopped being released because, uh, you know, when when they stopped selling it because now um, my uh, particular machine, I don't I don't know that it could run it any faster with a 64-bit, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of a speed gain you'll get in the 64-bit right off the start, just like you know when, when PCs did it. Actually, sometimes it slowed people down because now you're loading twice as big of registers all the time. And if right. your programs didn't need them, it's it's a bit of overkill. But uh, eventually, you will need it for newer features. And as it's mentioned in here, you know, like MAME is no longer going to be providing any more updates for 32-bit, uh, or at least Ron couldn't provide them anymore. So uh, he has to migrate to 64-bit even to keep MAME going on the Raspberry Pi project. So. Or Cocoa Pie Project. Anyway, details are on uh, his website. And also, uh, if you want more up-to-date than even the, his blogs here, you can actually hit up the Cocoa Pie channel on Cocoa Discord. Uh, Tier City Retro Programming did a couple of updates here. He's working on his Cocoa Ultimate. He's uh, kind of been fiddling between going P-Mode 4, high-res, black and white, with versus doing some lower-res with color. I think he's pretty well settled on lower res with color. So this is where he's been experimenting with just using draw statements rather than get put, where you draw the, you know, make a draw string with different colors and drawing the animation stuff. And then you just tell it, tell it to redraw it in the background color and then immediately redraw it in the new position. Um, so I won't play too much of it here. Um, this is very much a work in progress. Um, that's the goal here. And, you know, there'll be a, there'll be some kind of a goal. So you can actually watch it a bit. Um, you know, certain Please go ahead if and, and uh, oh, this might be the most static one where he's just drawing the, the new scale in the midst of the other video. He did two videos this week. Ah, yeah, sorry, wrong one. Color Vectrex. So he's got his two different characters one's carrying a sword, one's carrying a wand. <clears throat> he's got a snake that's randomly jumping around. Now, at this point, <clears throat> he didn't bother putting commentary in this one, he was just kind of experimenting with the redraw and see how it looked. Um, he doesn't even have bounds checking. So the snake, if it tries to wander off the right side of the screen, it'll actually crash with an illegal function call error because uh, you're basically trying to draw outside the screen. But uh, yeah, he's been doing a fair bit of fiddling around, just experimenting with different techniques to see which one's going to work best. 
um, as he gets back to it. And Coco Ultimate is supposed to be an Ultima style game eventually with some additions to it. Like the combat's going to be a fair bit different. Next up, Coco Town, which I know Henry has quoted before, and he's been an interview guest of ours before as well. Um, this one is kind of a funny one where he kind of goes into uh, his favorite bug so far he's found. Um, well, I'll let him explain the little beginning here. Hello and welcome. While I was working on my Moon Patrol game, I ran into a bug. A bug that was so earth-shattering, it has been kept secret. It has been kept hidden from you until now when we will blow the lid off of the whole thing. How many hints will you need to solve the mystery of the recalcitrant VDG? So anyway, there's there's your teaser for it. And uh, yeah, it was a rather interesting journey trying to track down a bug where it looks like the code's running and but it's not doing anything it's supposed to be doing. And it was it was a rather interesting one. Uh, I didn't figure it out right off the bat, though. I figured it out before he you know, announced what the what the problem was. I know some of the comments, like William Astle, creator of LW Asm, of course, you know, piped in too. Um, and it was also it, it reminded me of a, a technique I use, and I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about because I don't want to give away the video. You should go watch it there, but. Uh, there's some reasons I do things that some people think is a bit, you know, archaic and stupid, but it actually helps you catch these types of bugs much faster by forcing things and rather than assuming what the assembler is going to guess at. So anyway, watch it if you want to. But if you want to learn machine language, uh, I have two very good channels to do that actually are Coco Town and Henry's channel, The Break Keep. So if, you, if, you, if you're missing you know, what happened after Steve York finished the assembly series that he did for us back in the day, well, follow those two people's channels and you can kind of get caught up on it. And also on uh, George Jansen's, who's concentrating on the Coco 3 specifically. I think, uh, Henry, yours is more meant for Coco 1 and 2. I know uh, Coco Towns is. Yeah, mine's 1 and 2. I don't own a 3, so um, I don't write for it yet. Okay. So anyway, there's there's three simultaneous ongoing machine language tutorial series uh, for the Coco right now going on on YouTube. And one is for the Coco 3, two for the Coco 1 and 2. And uh, if you want to learn assembly language, definitely this is the time to start. There's a lot of resources out there. There's tons of manuals and disassemblies like the Unraveled series on the archive. Um, all the magazines are archived. They had their own assembly series like Charlie's Machine and a few others. And uh, now we've got live ones and you've actually got the authors available for you on the Discord, et cetera. So if you have questions on their videos, you can leave comments on their YouTube channel or you can actually ask them in the Discord as well or live on the show in some cases like with Henry. Next up after that, this is actually became a two-parter. Uh, Michael Pitsley um, has an Orchestra 90, which, of course, is a stereo 8-bit DAC card that uh, Tandy sold and is based on the original Orchestra 85, which is for the Tier City Model 1 and 3 that basically did the same thing. And it has its own little language for creating up to four-voice music. Or is it five-voice? can't remember. But anyway, with better quality sound than the DAC on the Coco that's built in. And uh, there's a ton of Orchestra 90 songs. CompuServe used to have an entire forum library devoted to nothing but. And uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of songs. Now, the problem is, is that they're all saved in the old Coco, you know, kind of like MS-DOS 8.3 format. And the point three is to tell you it's an Orchestra 90 file. So you got eight characters to describe a song. And because there's so many different songs that have been done here, they, a lot of them have become kind of nonsensical and you have no idea what the song is that you're doing. So you have to play it to actually hear where it's supposed to be. 
Michael took the time to actually go through the SDC image of all the Orchestra 90 songs and uh, created a PDF. And this is the second version. So he actually did some updates to it here recently uh, that lists every single song available on the SDC archive for Orchestra 90 and exactly what the song is, the artist, et cetera. So if you are looking for a particular song you want to hear, or if you have a collection of those yourself and you just want to set up a, a jukebox style thing to go through them all, I would highly recommend downloading this PDF so that you can actually find your songs fairly quickly rather than trying to figure out what A53BBG.org is, you know, type of thing. Which is what I did. And when you saw, <laughs> yeah. when, you saw what I did, I downloaded his uh, list. I found uh, my uh, wedding song and played it, you know. Worked oh, good, you go. and you found two versions of it. That's one other thing. Yeah. Like, there's so many people wrote Orchestra ninety transcriptions that they've done it with different effects, or they've done it with a different key change, or or maybe you know added their own spin on some of the songs. Like, there's there's lots. So, if you're into that kind of thing, you have an Orchestra ninety card, and order the. Um, doesn't Jim Brain have a duplicate of the Orchestra ninety? He's got a different name for him. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Retro Innovations. PCC. Yeah, it's emulated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mame has a, a version of it too. You put the MPI in and uh, add the card, you know, card in. I think you're thinking of Zipster's Cocoa Dack. Oh, is that? Maybe it's Zipster's you're th I'm thinking of. Yeah, you're right. Because it's basically the same thing. It's an 8-bit dual Dack, right? I think Jim Brain has put Orc 90 type Dacks on several different project cards at this point. Yeah, I think maybe I'm mixing up with his MIDI Maestro. That's the one he's doing. He's duplicating the old MIDI cards. And he, was he were the one working on the Symphony 12 clone, which is basically four? And yeah, it, it's chips. done. It works. Yeah. So yeah, Zipster's own is one has the York 90 clone. Anyway, there's lots of stuff available in the SDC. Um, one of these days, I've got discs and discs and stuff I downloaded from CompuServe back in the day. I'll have to go through and see if there's any missing on the archive that I've got. And this this will definitely help me you know, speed that process up. And if there's any that I have that aren't on there, I'll have to upload. And if that PDF could get uploaded to the Coco archive or transcribed to Cocopedia, that would be cool. Yeah. So Michael, if you're listening, uh, if you haven't already, because I know there's a bit of a delay, it's going to you know, has to have some time to go through all the submissions, et cetera, sometimes up to a week or two before he puts it up. Maybe you already have uploaded the archive and it just hasn't come on yet. But if you haven't, please do so. Michael's a good guy. Yeah. And the Orchestra 90, for those of you who don't have it, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in the Coco 1 and 2 that play just fine. And it's, like I said, better quality sound than the uh, the built-in DAC. But Sockmaster also has a special 6 through 9 version of his mod player that supports the Orchestra 90 in full stereo. So if you have some of the old four-voice Amiga mods, etc., uh, with full stereo effects and digitized you know, instruments, uh, they play quite well, actually, on the Orc 90. Well, that makes sense because I believe the uh, Amiga... Um, sound system was just a couple of 8-bit DACs. Yeah. Yes. Next up, uh, maybe Nick, you can comment on this one. It was posted by Carlos Camacho, and he says, is with Nick Marentes. And it's an old magazine called Electronics Australia. <clears throat> and the cover date on this one is February 1982. So this is a good year and a quarter since the Coco One was released, but it says Tandy's new color computer, and it's a Coco One. Um... Did they not go on sale on in, in Australia until like late 81, 82 versus the late 80 we had here? Uh, it, well, it might have been late 80, but uh, I can't remember the exact date. 
it probably took a while for the magazine to actually pick up on it and do a review. You know, they they, they wouldn't have done this article. You know, like a full after. year. Oh, well, you know, there was a lot of computers going out. At that time, and it's an electronics magazine. They didn't just right. talk about computers. Oh, that's true. That's true. So yeah, there's a lot of other things. Uh, so I think I do have this issue somewhere in my um, magazine place. Oh, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what the review was like then. Nick, I'll see if I can dig it up. Yeah, I I do have it. I'm pretty sure I do have it because uh, I used to buy this magazine. It was a good mag, but it was an electronics one. That did delve into computers as well. So, but yeah, I just assume that they uh, probably by the time this review came out, it might have been you know, eighty three. Yeah. What's on the screen of that computer? Do you know the software? Bingo math. I recognize Bingo it. Bingo math. Yeah, yeah, they're the wrong guy. And, and you know they um, did pretty well reproducing that on the screen. Yeah, because yeah, those weren't real photos. They kind of like yeah, back then usually they, they just overlaid it. Yeah, for magazine. Nothing, none and of they've got the real. expanded version of the color basic manual, not the uh, shrunk one we were showing earlier. They shop the <clears> manual <throat> in, they shop the people in. And I think yeah. that's Bust Out over here, which was written by Glenn Soggy, who we interviewed way, way back when. And I'm no, Alan, Alan, were you saying something? I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just wondering if that's Nick working on <laughs> the first Coco. <laughs> that's me. Now, you can see me. I'm thinking that gee, I could write a really good game on this thing. I know. I'll call it Neutroid. Uh, yeah, because Neutroid's about as much fun as math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Neutroid reloaded. I will give you credit. That's actually a good game. What, the what's the um, What's the year on that? 82 or 83? February of 82. Now, I'm assuming they have yeah. a couple month lead time on the cover date, just like we did. So it's probably late 81, like yeah. November, December. Yeah, I would say that, that, that's, that's about it's right. It's so, got the black beauty with the silver handle. Yep. The aluminum handle, the one you can unscrew and then use it as a thumb stick. Right. And that which should is be what I did. The, uh, the, the first gray case Coke, with, a, with the logo on the left. Yep. Right. And the RAM badge on the right, it's which the, the F4 badge, didn't yeah. even have. So yeah, it's nice that they found a a gray TV to go with it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, Tandy had their official one, but that was more of a wood grain with yeah. some gray in it, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to get that issue because I'm curious about that expansion board for the, the Dreamweight Dream sixty eight hundred. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder if it runs flex. Well, yeah, the Dream sixty eight hundred. Yeah, that was a. 6800 CPU. Yeah. It was a kit one, a kit computer. I just remember Dream was the name of the best assembler for the Dragon, or at least one of the more popular That's... ones, too. That was the uh, name of the assembler. Yeah. Is this before the Breadbox uh, computer came out? What, oh, the yeah. Computer? The Commodore 64. Yeah, I can't even say the name. No. Yeah, is the Vic, is the Vic twenty uh, considered a bread box? It's pretty well the same case. Bread, well, it is the same case, but it yeah, is. No, the bread wasn't done. It's a light. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's do do the, the color we call it a bread done. box. Bread dough. <laughs> well, perfect. <laughs> no, well, the Vic twenty was the was the white bread, and then by eighty three <laughs> they burnt it, and it became brown. <laughs> I thought it was a bread bin. A uh, bread bin. Yeah, it's actually a bread bin. Brown color because oh. it's burning itself from that PLA in the Vic two. And how hot they got. But yeah, this was a good magazine. Uh, back back then in the well, late 70s and very early 80s, 
there was uh, this magazine and another one called Electronics Today International. And a lot of the magazines there, they 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 did a lot of electronic projects, and they were that was back in the the days when you know electronics and hobbies and all that was was uh was cool. Um, right. Well, it still is. Know, that, that's why we're yeah, here. Yeah, they still are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And now, of course, all these magazines have all disappeared because why build it when you can just well, go out and order Mag it off? I has a magazine today, Magpie. Oh, have you? So, okay. Yeah. And uh, every month, Magpie Magazine has projects for the Pi, including electronics and Python coding and stuff like that. No, we're still going. Oh, yeah. But that, that the, 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 the Pi, well, back, back then, you didn't have things like the Pi. You know, you, you wanted a microprocessor. It was built from the ground up. It wasn't a pre-done com little computer module that you, you know, just slap on a few little boards and code in some high-level language. It was, it was more your, your, raw. Your LCD digital thermometer was not written in Python. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you then, had to write an assembly language, baby. In 1982, <laughs> a cray was larger than a refrigerator and had a heated couch around it. And now right. you can have them in the size of a credit card and it's 80 crays. Pi is awesome, man. It's, what's his progress? <laughs> Yeah, I, I would I would agree with uh, both both sets of points there. Right, you were much more raw and closer to the hardware back in these days. Like you basically had to build your own you yeah, know, board yeah. to attach an Atari two thirty two or something like that. It was all kit kind of stuff. Whereas now it's like okay, here's here's the module that is the actual computer. You yeah. can add some extra hardware for USB or whatever. Uh, there's there's we still roll our own hackaday stuff. The sixty eight oh nine board computers and. 6502 breadboard computers, Z80 ones are out. I mean, there's people making new projects all the time. Still. Yeah, that's right. I mean, even the, even the RCA, what, 1820? I mean. The 1802, yeah. 1802, yeah. Well, Fred's, Fred's building one. Yep. <laughs> Actually, he's one of two people that are currently building a 609-based computer. For some dark days where stuff that was fun went away for a while, but I think that it's been fixed. I mean, all look at the Coco 3 now. All this stuff is just like uh, what the virtual Coco festival is going to be like. I mean, we can just go on and on through different rabbit holes and they have seven hours yeah. go real fast. <laughs> well, it's just like our show. It's one big rabbit hole, yeah. too, isn't it? Yeah, so we should but just that, have that's it. Sort of like, it. It's sort of like going back in the days of, you know, the early Radio Shack, where you go into the Radio Shack and you bought electronic parts in the kits oh, and yeah. built things right. whereas nowadays it's electronic stores have just changed in, and become you know just a retail for imported chinese uh, electronics you know yeah and well, you yeah, think about and it goes off to a board house and comes back in a pack of 10 and then he's yeah. well, the thing about radio shack was he you did didn't up. have to know what you wanted to do when you went into a radio shack you would find something you wanted to do you find a p-box kit or something yeah, you can where, buy all the parts and build it and uh, buy it. They say, yeah, here, nine ninety five. You got this AM regenerative radio. You can build yourself. You don't know anything build about yourself. what you're doing. But or you, you buy a book by that MIMS guy. Right? Yeah. It's got all those. So you get the little graph paper book and go start flipping through. That looks fun. Oh, but wait. When what you, do I need? 
But when you went in the store, you had no idea about any of this stuff. And when you came out, you had a bag of parts and a book. So yeah, that's that's missing now. Uh, that it definitely is. But you know, to get kids into it again today, this is the these are the ways in. Show them. Yep. And some of them do go back down the rabbit holes. You say, you know, more to the the raw thing way of doing things like we're used to back in the day. Some of them will stay at the, like, I'm just adding on a board. It's like people say they build their own PCs. You're just like adding a graphics card and a sound card. You're not building yeah, no. nothing, really. It's modular. The water cooling uh, no. you're, you're like, you're, it's like you're saying, I'm, I'm building a, a, a hi-fi system because I can plug in the power cords. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's well, kind of what like it is to me today. It's like nowadays they say, oh, I'm going to add a USB interface to my Coco. I'll just get this module and interface that. Whereas, you know, right. back in the day, well, yeah, you'd have to that, come up with a chip that it does the do it USB, write your own driver. <laughs> everything. But nowadays you can buy a module. It's like electronic Lego. Yeah. Well, in yeah. high school, I made a, a super heterodyne radio, you know, with the tubes. And, uh, you know, you had to finish it to get out of the course or whatever. And yeah, like little quartz radio kits and stuff, too, where you build a radio receiver totally on your own. Oh. Now, there's an advantage to the modern day, of course, is that the fact that, oh, yeah. you know, with things like PCB Way, you can actually make a board now that for dirt cheap and actually make enough to sell. Whereas in the old days, you'd have to, like, hand solder a board. I and, remember that. Yeah, you, you had to etch the boards for that matter, not just hand solder. You had to etch a board. Here's so there's definitely advantages to the way you do it now because now it's affordable oh, yeah. for people and they're, and, and they're nice quality boards too. I mean they yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah they are good. Super. They're definitely better now. But I mean that, that's a skill set that a lot of people have no idea how it's done. You know, and, and you know the CPU designer is probably saying the same thing because you know the six eight nine was one of the last ones that was hardwired design wise and everything after that's micro coded or whatever. So they probably mm. went through the same arguments. Here's something <laughs> tying into what Ron said uh, when you had to build your multi tester. Your VOM before you could graduate. Because yeah, then you needed you did that. to finish the rest of your kits. This one's a yep. few years old. I tell you what though, I think <laughs> I think the thing that got me interested that got me interested in like the guts of electronic devices was our television that my father had built. I never wa I don't remember watching him build it, but I do know that it was one of those Bell and Howell units that had the sub chassis that you pulled out to go to uh program the um program the channels and whatnot. And I found that fascinating in much the same way I found the engine of our VW van fascinating at the age of five. <laughs> yeah, I, think I remember the, the days when uh, we had a TV rotator, you know, and you had to put the antenna up on the roof. And, we were uh, never so lucky. I only, we only ever had rabbit ears. <laughs> well, geez. I had rabbit ears in my first black and white TV in my room. I remember that. In, in Dallas, in, in my childhood, the NFL had blackouts. So you couldn't watch the cowboy game unless it was sold out, and it never was. So everyone had these giant antennas so they could reach Channel 12 in Sherman Denison, which was like 70 miles away. So it looked like ham radio on every block, but it was just people watching the cowboy games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, here we, we live in a valley, so um, I went to a friend's house, and he has a directional antenna pointed – uh, to Phoenix between the mountains and he can receive with it. And he's like the only one in the whole area here that can actually get something, you know, native. He's got that path well, right between yeah. the mountains. If, if you've ever wondered why the, why the label on the back of the television is CATV, 
That's called community antenna television. So like yes. your friend who's your neighbor, who's got the line to Phoenix. It's like, Oh yeah, I'll go ahead and preamp and share my, uh, and share my yeah. antenna source. <laughs> you wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, I just found the PDF of that magazine. Actually, I'll, I'll, Oh, just load cool. it and uh, have a quick read of that review. Right. Do, you, do you want to do that as soon as I finish the news? Because I've only got about seven or eight stories left. Uh, it's downloading right now, actually. So I'm just trying to, I'm waiting for it to load up and then I can share it. Or if you just finish your news things and I'll come yeah, in. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'll, I'll finish the news and then we can go through it quickly. And ah, it'll be yeah, kind of the yeah, end of the show. It's probably got pictures. <clears throat> so speaking of six yeah. or nine uh, boards that are being built by hand, and Frederick is working on one as well. Uh, David Collins, I don't know if you have you followed this at all, Frederick yourself, or yes, I have. I have. So what what what's I've mainly different about his? Because I yeah, this is all hardware stuff. Mm. What's what's Which different between been... yours project and his? Do you think, or the main differences? Um, well, his he's using a microcontroller to uh, have um, to interface with the outside world, and the uh, uh, like his his serial port is through the um, microcontroller. Um, SPI, uh, I squared C. Um, I believe that some of his, I think he had a bootloader eventually uh, at one time, but, uh, but I'm not too sure exactly what he has. Uh, but aside from what I just mentioned. Yeah, because no, he does cool mention project. here, ideally, once this is booting at the very least, flex and loading from an SD card seems like a good benchmark. So he's planning on running the flex operating system, which was one of the discussions we had with you as to what what OS to support. Yeah. You made the right choice of those nine, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I might be slightly biased. Maybe. Yeah. Slightly. <laughs> it's kind of, I'm, I'm about as biased on Nitrous 9, OS 9, as Nick is about Neutroid, I think is probably accurate. <laughs> or a certain trash can. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's nice to see that there's you know multiple like the the interest in the six three zero nine in particular and the six eight zero nine general I think has actually been on the upswing the last year or so because there were so many projects for you know said slash the eighties and six five zero twos and eighty eighties and and stuff because they were more popular chips because they were you know generally more mass marketed to a more wider variety of machines and six eight zero nine was a bit of a kind of the I don't know what you'd call it but it was it was sophisticated but expensive I guess is probably the main thing compared to a lot of the other 8-bit chips of the time. So it wasn't one that a lot of companies picked. Like Vectrix used it, and you know, Williams are used in their arcade well, games, and of course the Coco the Dragon. Was the 6809 more industrial? Like industrial um, I don't know if I'd go as far as industrial, because even the industrial machines were using like 6800s and stuff. It, it, Motorola just charged a lot for it, I think, was the biggest issue. Or was it like intended for an industrial market? Like you're talking like gimmicks and smoke signal cheapens and that kind of thing? Uh, like, like the guts of a printer or uh, uh, more well, no, controllers. The, the articles about the development of the sixty-eight hundred nine is that it was intended to be a microprocessor. the The problem with it was the process technology that Motorola used at the time, and the same with the sixty-eight hundred, was uh, too low a yield. So yeah. that's part of what drove up the cost is that they had to make a lot of them to get enough usable ones to sell. The 6502 did um, a much higher yield per wafer because that company, Mostech, just bought the brand newest 
possible tech for making chips at the time. And so they were able to get a much higher percentage yield off of each wafer. And that's part of why the 6502 came in much more affordable. Yeah. Cheaper potato chips don't always taste as good. <clears throat> no, it's I mean, like the 69 was much more powerful than the 6502, like just hands down. I mean, 6502 is based on the 6800, which is the previous right. generation as far as Morello is concerned. Now, Mark Siegel is saying if you bought enough in bulk, it was no more expensive. I think it was probably still a bit more, but I mean, you know, what type of bulk are we talking here? Because your average smaller company probably couldn't do that anyway. But even for people just designing their own projects back in the day, I mean, a 6809 was like four to five times more expensive than 6502 at least, if not more. Well, let me ask you, aren't multiprocessor or, you know, like the 6809, aren't they made the same as any of these other 74 LS chips or whatever? I mean, isn't it the same Not process? exactly. No. No, there were a lot of technology changes in how to make the actual chips that happened between 71 and 79. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it was like that how fast computers change that yeah. was happening even with, you know, physics and materials and how to make these chips and how to scale down an image versus being able to just do a, a photolithography type one shot pass and all of you know some of these chips were hand drawn on paper and scaled down and others were starting to be made using um non-paper processes yeah know, and microcoding for example like 6809 is microcoded but the 6809 is not it's the old hand drawn shrunk down process yeah so it's just you know incremental technology improvement was happening extremely quickly in this space and if I remember correctly, uh, isn't the 69 was the very last taped out manually chip ever? Designed? I think so. I think I've heard Listen that. Recall Motorola saying that, because even the 68000, which they were doing at the same time, was done using the more modern process. Hey, oh, cool. Well, we're getting more well, updates from Frederick here as he goes on his 69 project, and I'll keep you guys up to date on, on David's here as well. Yeah. <laughs> One last uh, rabbit hole question what's the difference between processors having a ceramic case and a plastic case and a ceramic case with a gold thing on it? One has a ceramic case, one has a plastic case, one has a ceramic case with gold on it. Yeah. Well, other than that, gold, they work the same. One's yeah. younger, one's older. One's yeah, I think the, plastic is I think the white older. ceramic with gold is an older, is an older um, enclosure. Yeah, but okay. um, they just moved it to being cheaper and cheaper as you go on. These days, I think it's mil-spec stuff that you, is about the only thing that you're going to find in uh, ceramic. Well, I think the ceramic gold ones were also uh, better at uh, stock dissipation. dissipation. They stock would be. Yeah. And that would be probably falling under the mil-spec. You're saying it has to take you know, yeah. hits radiation and heat and stuff better than a consumer-grade one. Yeah, they tend Let's to put have this out in a solar storm, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Gamma rays, does it turn into the Hulk? I'm not willing to try it myself to find out, but <laughs> refresh refresh your page, can you? So Isn't it refreshed? It should be your... showing multimedia one. Uh, yeah, but I I re, I uh redid my owned an M1 MMM one in the past because it's got I put a Q in there instead of an O. No, okay. I just fixed it a little bit ago. Anyway, for those listening to Ron there, not having a clue what we're talking about, um, David Graham is put up in the multi MM1 Multimedia Facebook group 
a poll for people that have M1s. Uh, please comment with confirmed serial numbers of machines currently in your possession. And he's asking basically which one of these categories do you fall under? Do you currently own at least one M1? Did you purchase it directly from IMS, KLE, uh, Kenneth Lay Enterprises? Interactive Media Systems were the two original companies that sold M1s. Did you purchase the M1 from Blackhawk, which is when the original one kind of folded, uh, Blackhawk Enterprises kind of took it over? Do you have one with the 68340 accelerator, which is actually a pretty sizable speed increase? I think it's about two and a half times faster than the original 68070 version. 68070 is not a Motorola chip, uh, for those of you who thought that they maxed out at the 68060, which is true. 68070 was a Signetics one that actually added some extra stuff on it. So it's kind of like a microcontroller version of the 68000. And uh, then uh, some stuff about serial numbers too. So if you have an MM1 and either you bought it back in the day or you've picked it up since, uh, please go on to the multimedia or MM1 multimedia uh, group on Facebook and you can contribute your vote and your serial number because they're kind of trying to amass uh, kind of a general database of like, Who's still got them that are still working? I know Joel Evie has been putting up multiple videos of getting his running again. I know David Ladd still has it, but his, but I believe the hard drive doesn't work anymore. Uh, and yeah, I think he's trying to get the floppies going again, trying to get a new boot file made. Next up, this was a rather interesting one I found here. This is not somebody I'd normally watch on YouTube. It just came up my search. So David Kay on YouTube posted a video for his series that's called, so check this out. And this is where he goes around buying stuff from old businesses, estate sales, grad sales, that kind of thing. And this was a business one, actually. And I'm not going to play the whole video here because it's eight and a half or almost nine minutes long. And he's got some stuff that's not Coca related that he talks a little bit about, which might show up in the beginning here. Uh, but I'll just cover a little bit of it. So you can kind of get a feel for it. But he got a wicked deal on this. Um, also, the circumstances of where he found it was kind of interesting. So I'll play about a minute or two of the so intro. Check this out. That loud this is an awesome Facebook marketplace yep. find. Wow. I uh, got all of this for $100. I'm going to focus mostly Ooh. on that Coco from Radio Shack. <laughs> but I just want to show you what I got for $100 because a lot of it's of interest to folks who like electronics. So the ad showed a bunch of records. And most of the records look like they were country and other stuff that wasn't of particular interest. You can see a little bit of it on the video here. It was tremendous, you know, how much was there. So we figured we'd check it out because we did see there were some electronics. I'm going to skip where he's talking about records because we don't uh, care here about good that. 45 minutes to an hour there. There was. But what you came to see was the Coco stuff. So it was in a back room. When I went back there, like I flipped out, I took a quick look at it. There was, I saw that the computer was in there. There's a game or two. And I'm like, okay, I'm taking it. I don't even need to look any further. Probably should have looked at the condition, but I was like, I was too excited. Uh, this printer was there. And then actually a little bit later, I noticed on the floor was this box. It had been broken down. I don't know if you put it on the floor because the floor was slippery, uh, but like I, I removed, I took it because I mean, holy smokes. But this is what I'm most excited about. So let's take a closer look. So this is Inbox, a TRS-80 color computer. I think it's the original, I forget. Uh, you can see on the side, the date code. Somebody knows what that means. I do not. So you're seeing this with me. I'm hoping that particular date code, I don't know either. If okay. any of you guys know, let me know. Um, well, 3004A should be an F4. Oh, actually, yeah. So this is the book for the printer. So that's, again, that's not super exciting. But, uh, oh, that's nice. So that's the booklet. So it seems like this guy kept stuff to get. So, oh my God, actually, you know what? There's a, oh God, there's a bunch of games. This and a joystick. So this is going to be good. Uh, color things, uh, directions for this. Uh, investment. Oh, actually, you know what? There's paper. There's the, oh my God. What's nice about this is I can, I can actually potentially test out the printer because it's got that paper. That's, that's oh, nice Oh, but to getting have. a, getting a ribbon for that. 
Actually, I, I'll show you a little bit of a teaser. I'll skip the rest here where he's going through with the stuff in the cocoa box, but he actually does try the ribbon. Of course, it's dead. It doesn't have any ink. His uh, <clears throat> way of trying to fix it is kind of unique. WD-40. Yeah, that's what I use. Better quality whatsoever. This may or may not be re-inked. I used ink oh, for no, stamp no, pads. No, no, no. He killed it. It's not on rubber stamp. So... Got some on the paper, I maybe got some on the ribbon. I guess it's worth a try. What do you think? I don't even uh -oh. know whether Step I should be mystic or not. Probably not. Uh, clogs the heads. Yes, so, it's evil. That's something. Ooh, yeah, bit. when he tried it 10 minutes later, though, it was... Uh, so it was all good together. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, he did this three times. And by the last time, it actually didn't look too bad. Yeah, He considered it a success. So that's an unadulterated. Yeah, it's kind of a rubber-based ink, though, and it fantastic. hardens the in the heads. Yes, it's, it's Even it's back in the day, it would destroy heads. That is good, old-fashioned. And the younger guy that he was with him was shown at the beginning of the video there. He'd never seen uh, loose leaf, or uh, sorry, a uh, line printer paper before with the holes on it. <laughs> so would, wait, 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 would it even, would it, would it destroy the print head considering that's a single hammer unit? Um, It gets... Just goose, basically, yeah. it the pin to the it's, to the, it's the, to the yeah, jewel. The pins there. don't return anymore, so yeah, it will wax them down, and then they're stuck. And yeah, yeah it would coat the pin, and gum it up, catching on the paper, and it just gets nasty. So the DMP one hundred doesn't have a pin; it has a hammer. No, look like pins. Wasn't it and a so, nine pin? Just, whatever the mechanism is, there is a pin that comes out and has to retract, and the stamp pad ink gets is too thick for that process right. it's just yeah there's there's like a rotating there's like a rotating platen in the uh in the line printer seven and in the and in the dmp 100 i think is the same mechanism and you've actually got something that's that looks like it's a tiny little type uh tiny little type bar type of a thing that goes out and thwams it just like a piece of just like a typewriter and the rotating platen has ridges on it that once that ridge is underneath it and it whams it, it puts it in the right place. It's been too long for me to remember. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did get output here that actually doesn't look too yeah. bad, but like you said, maybe long-term it's going to gum up the, the pin or pins. I'm pretty sure it was a nine pin printer, but I can't remember. No descenders, so... Yeah, I do remember that was 7-bit, wasn't it, originally? I know they had to, eventually, for the later printers, they had to patch the color basic ROM because it only did 7-bit output on print number negative 2. But Well, but like, in, in this case, the, the printer physically doesn't have any descenders. It can't put the G where it belongs. It has to... Yeah, they didn't bring that out to what, the 110 <laughs> or 1, I can't remember what the model was, but they finally brought real descenders out for the DP100. definitely didn't. put a couple more, yeah. Well, actually, they kind of did descenders. They did lowercase, but they would shift it up a line, so it wasn't... Right, lined up properly. Yeah, because well, <laughs> for here, right, right, right. It's in the screen image. Yeah, there's the G. You can see here it's raised up. Anyway, for a hundred bucks, because you got all no, those records, you got the eight, oh, you got the uh, reel to reel tape, he got a Coco one with you know games and cartridges and manuals and a couple of books, um, and a DMP one hundred printer, like pretty good haul. And the one. It, yeah. It's funny the guy's taking a forty-year-old box, breaking it down, putting it on the floor. So 
good rescue move there. <laughs> well, the thing that I found fascinating too is that this was not an estate sale or something like, say, what happened with Steve Bjork. This was a business. And this was in the basement. The guy used this for his business. He used the cocoa for his business and back then. That's why he had Spectaculator and uh, Color Scripts it. So he was actually using it, it like like Ron thing. did before his sign business back right. in the day. And uh, the guy who sold it didn't consider it valuable. Like, say, if he's throwing boxes on the floor to, you know, keep the wet floor dry. Um, so, but a hundred bucks, and it just it wasn't thrown away, and he got it. Yeah, hundred bucks for all of that. Like, I, that was a good deal. Okay, there's some guy named Henry here. He's got a video called "Let's Pull That Keyboard." So I'm going to mute that since the the real Henry is here with us right now. Yeah, something um, like that. I will fast forward a little bit just to where you're getting kind of into the nuts and bolts. You want to talk about what this video is kind of covering? Yeah, what we're covering here is the we're uh, yeah I'm open. Uh, we're covering here is what's going on with the keyboard pulling itself. I'm coming from it from the idea that you're either. You either use one of these and have never had to deal with keyboard matrices before, or you've never had to deal with the intricacies of making a keyboard matrix work before and how that works. So I'm also getting into some of the gotchas about programming the VD or programming the uh, PIA because it would seem that you would want to send a high, you would want to send a high level signal down the rows or down the columns, but the high level the high level signal won't work because you've got pull up resistors on the a side yeah and i go into that and i go into how to how to get that to work and i think i make a couple of mistakes yeah yeah one thing i really liked you actually did a visualization using the vdg um of how the rows and columns work which actually is live um, yeah and that was and that literally i i've uh, done similar in the past what i was what i did and what i did there was you'll see that i've got seven uh, you'll see that i've got seven across and i've got eight down so i've got the rows going uh i've got the uh, columns going down and i've got the rows going across at least i think that's what i did yeah it looks like what i did um <laughs> the entire purpose of that being okay it was a quick and dirty way to demonstrate like am i actually receiving data yep so every time you hit a key you actually oh, light up cool. the the column and row matrix connection yep. that you do yep so this is the You'll actual the... polling right yeah that's actually that's yeah. actually what you're seeing is the polling itself um so the poll happens and as it pulls each individual and it, uh, as it pulls the columns as it pulls the row as it pulls the columns then it'll go ahead and change over the value that's on the screen so i'm literally just complementing it yeah so it's actually a live visual representation of the grid you're showing on the on the right here, basically. Yep, just take the whole thing and rotate it 90 degrees. Isn't there a, <laughs> a basic program like that on the um, um, cartridge, you know, to test the computer? The diagnostic? Maybe. Cartridge? Yeah, because you... Yeah, you, I think there was something similar. You, I don't know if it... You do the I've keyboard. never played with the diagnostic cartridge. Yeah, because yeah. when you do the keyboard part, you, any key you touch will come on the screen. Now, does it so print the actual like key a, itself, like the value, like you hit the A key, it prints the A? Is that what it's doing? Or does it yeah. actually show the matrix of the PIA like this? No, is? no matrix. the key, just... not the matrix. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's what I really liked about this one, because it actually shows you how the hardware is working underneath. Like, if you want to send out a row and then right. read the column, or is it vice versa? I can't remember. But basically, you have to write one, and then you get a certain response back, and you can actually do should be able to do multiple keys at once. I think there's a limit before it starts not 
registering keys no, the, after big, a the biggest problem you've got is the biggest problem you've got is i tried it i tried that uh that algorithm on my uh live heart my real hardware and i think what's happening with the live hardware is the limitation of the number of keys you can press is actually how much the how much the line is being loaded by the mm -hmm. uh, uh by the keys that are being pressed because of course fact, you're going to have what's that we're, in fact we're using a different pia for the keyboard than everything else to make it better that's the so six day 22 instead of the six day 21 right so so mm -hmm. one one can handle more current but it still can't handle putting your butt on a keyboard right <laughs> no and so it's it's fine if you go with like if it's fine if you go with the different columns for the most part um but the, but the thing you run into is ghosting because those keys don't have diodes um that are that are going diagonally across them or whatnot so you wind up like if you press an l shape on the if you press an l shape on the keys uh, right. according to the matrix and then you it what it'll do is it'll light up the one that's over here as well i don't know if i demonstrated ghosting on that or not i think i was just like too happy <laughs> right this is all over the keyboard form kind of stuff right and if i remember color basics keyboard rollover routine actually keeps track of only three keys simultaneously and you lose anything past that point anyway and i think that probably for I that reason on, that was what i was hitting on real hardware was i couldn't get more than three keys okay yeah because that's what basic does because it you know it registers like shift and clear and a few other spur you know, certain operating systems that want to use multiple keys at once to designate well, where is control. where is shift because shift is not in this matrix like if you do the keyboard rollover poking thing in the last in the last shift, shift is on if yeah, you the shift's look at on the there now both shift keys register the same thing they're not separate right both shift keys are on the same part of the matrix and as you can mm -hmm. see right there the shift key is in the lower right hand side or lower left hand side of the matrix so yeah, and, and then, of course, these four empty ones are what it was on the deluxe computers keyboard and the Coco 3 keyboard. It adds F1, right. F2, Alt, and Control as separate right. ones. But, uh, with the, there, there are two pokes you can do in basic to do the rollover table and get all the keys. And they will do everything, including the missing ones, except for the shift. And I don't understand where it went. Maybe well, the shift in basic, it just keeps it as a modifier flag. It's not kept as a key key. It's basically to tell you to offset, like if you hit a, a letter key and you're currently in lowercase mode, it'll flip it to uppercase or vice versa. So it's it's meant as a flag key. Same as control and alt on, you know, Coco 3 OSN level 2. They, it keeps track of all three of those keys as right, modifier I can, keys. I can see control, alt, F1, and F2. I just can't see shift. I, I don't know. It's not wasting. Yeah, well, the way they set it up in basic, control and, and alt actually can be registered as a separate key because people are going to use those as alternate up and down arrows for the games that were designed for hands. Uh -huh. So they kind of left those in right. both the keyboard right. rollover table as a in, modifier in. and as an actual key, whereas shift is meant to only be a modifier. Um, if you read the PIAs directly, yeah, you can register the shift separately. Send a P or a color PD uses that for firing, as an example. But the basic uh, rollover table does not keep it as a separate key key. It's a modifier key flag only. Okay, cool. Mark, Mark Siegel said the keyboard should have had diodes. This I is correct. The, the keyboard should have had diodes, but you know what the problem with that is? That would have cost money. <laughs> Why did Tandy do that? We already know the answer. Money. Did Tandy do that? <laughs> anyway, if you have more questions for uh, Henry on his exploration of the Coco hardware and his history of the Coco, he'll be our guest next week, as we mentioned earlier.
Now, so the next, uh, sorry, was it, Rick? Said he can explain these things because I'm confused now. <laughs> <laughs> so the next and, and final story here, which is actually I've got four tabs open, um, is a bit of a sad news. Like we learned the uh, the passing of Steve York months after the fact. This one we found a bit more timely. But when Brian Weasler had posted about us having a, you know, a teaser of some special hardware we want to show off today, which we've done. One of the responses that he got, unfortunately, was from um, Doug Leaney, um, mentioning that his brother has passed away and he was actually had just attended his funeral. And he wanted to actually to show some of the relatives. He wanted to show the interview we did with him, uh, actually with both of them. And you guys may remember uh, on the old Coco Talk show, we had a brother's Coco Game Developer Brothers interviewing Coco Game Developer Brothers. And it was Kevin and uh, Doug Leaney who did some of the... Uh, our, our Vegas casino style games. They did the one for Novasoft slash Tom Mix for the Coco 1 and 2, and they later did one for the Coco 3 called Slots and Cards. And of course, Paul and... Um, oh, why am I blanking on his brother's name? Thayer. Paul Thayer's brother. Jeez. Uh, oh, <laughs> right? Just Let's gone. It's been a long day. Tim. Tim Thayer. So Paul and Tim Thayer actually also have done Coco Brothers software, um, which they've done multiple games. And by coincidence, they did a lot of casino style stuff too. They did poker and video poker and stuff like that as well. So we had them actually as two different generations because Paul and Tim, of course, did their development in the early 2000s, whereas Kevin and Doug had done their development back in the early 80s. And uh, Kevin himself had actually had taken apart actual you know Vegas casino real machines to figure out how they worked to get the odds right when he was doing the mechanical type stuff. And uh, we learned from Doug, unfortunately, that uh, Kevin had passed away. So uh, this is where he mentioned it here. Uh, and Doug actually comes on and says, question, a few years ago, my brother and I were on with the Thayer brothers discussing our Coco game. Sadly, tomorrow is my brother's funeral. So there's a lot of family in town. It might be fun for some of them to see the interview, but I can't find out where the old episodes is. And then Brian Weasler actually got a chance to find it and linked it here. So it's episode 245 of Coco Talk which is, of course, you know, available on Stevie Stroh's page. Um, and that was a fun interview. That was one I had a lot of fun organizing, even getting it going together here. And the, and the, the two sets of brothers definitely had fun talking back and forth with each other. You can tell like one of the brothers ago. is a programmer, the other one's more of the designer, graphics guy, or whatever type thing. So That was 100 episodes ago. Yeah, right. it's it's been a while, a couple of years. So sad news to hear that, but for those of you who are not familiar, this is the... Um, Vegas Game Pack by Novasoft, which was the uh, cheaper software subsidiary of Atomic Software. This was their Coco 1 and 2 one, which had a variety of games in it. Kino and Poker and Blackjack and various slot machines type thing. And then if they did the slots and cards, which is the very enhanced Coco 3 one, which actually was multi-disc. They actually ported this one also to the IBM PC. Uh, if you remember the ads in Rainbow, they used to have the entire back cover in full color. Uh, with a picture of the Vegas skyline and the screenshots from this here. So that was the one they did, you know, several years later, almost almost a decade later, with enhanced Coco 3 graphics. So um, same thing, all the games are included there. But a uh, bit of a memorial, I guess, to uh, the sad news that uh, Kevin passed away. So um, yeah. heartfelt, uh, you know, condolences to the family, especially to his brother, Doug. Um, and, and thanks to them for being on the show. And this is one of the reasons we try to do these interviews. Unfortunately, never got a chance to do one with Steve Bjork. Um, 
that we did a few sort of mini interviews before the show. Sometimes they're even on the show, but we never did the full one we we're planning. And uh, hopefully everything goes well that Ken and I can actually give a full interview with Robert Kilgus in person when we go see him just before the fest. So, and for those of you who want to find the episode, um, I did post the link to the episode directly in the show notes. Thanks to uh, Brian for finding that and posting it for his brother. Uh, it's also in the Discord uh, notes. And uh, if you're seeing the screen right now, these are the two brothers here, Doug and Kevin. And of course, uh, I think Tim and Paul are over here. So that was a fun episode. I had a lot of fun doing that one. We need to rearrange my room someday. <laughs> it hasn't changed. <laughs> and that's it for the news. Uh, sort of ended on a sad note, but that came in rather late uh, just this morning. So. Um, okay. And uh, uh, Nick, you found your uh, PDF you want to show? Yeah, I'll just end it on uh, a bit of a better note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, uh, the page where the uh, review begins. Um, they review the color computer. I had a quick glance through it. it it's a fairly lengthy sort of review. Um, one, two pages. Three pages. Is that coming up? Yeah, it's a few pages of ads, and then it goes back to the color computer again. It mainly talks about the color computer and the various programs that were available at the time, which were a lot of those early ROM packs. Yeah. Um, and that's on the next article. Um, I recognize some of the graphic shots here from the actual demos in the basic manuals, too. Yes, that's right. So that's what oh, Robert Kilgus's Dino Wars. There you go. Yeah, that's right. That was there. Uh, one thing that caught me straight off uh, in the first paragraph it says, Well, fast, easy to use color graphics are the principal attraction of the color computer. Other features, such as the inbuilt sound generator, powerful 6809 <laughs> processor, and advanced basic, blah, blah, blah. Sound generator. Gee, <laughs> it must have been. Uh, I, I think they put that comment by accident. The sound generator is the powerful 68090 processor. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, the basic had sound command and and play. So you yep. probably thought, oh, yeah, it's got a sound generator. Yeah, well, I hear sound. It must have sound. Well, there's sound. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about it being multi voice, so they weren't trying to advertise it as. No, you know, like no. So that, that I thought was a bit off. Well, sort of off. It correct and it's not correct. Kind of correct, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of both. But yeah, the the, the review doesn't really say too much. I noticed a bit further down they talk about the keyboard. It says the keyboard of the color computer leaves something to be desired. Yeah, namely a new keyboard. <laughs> yeah. So oh, he, he wasn't too impressed chiclet. by yeah. the chiclet keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, and yet so many computers nowadays, like the Apple ones, have chiclet keyboards now. They're quite yeah. a different chiclet keyboard from yeah, the old it's, ones, it's though. It's not exactly <laughs> like the dead flesh. Of the... Yeah, no. They don't stick down as soon as you hit it at a slight angle, for example. Well, they did when 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 the Coco was new. They did. Uh, mine, on. mine did, but I I used to like I learned to touch type before I got my Coco, so I was trying to type really fast. Now, if I hit it at a wrong angle, it would stick, even if it was clean, like no breadcrumbs I, or anything in it. I learned to touch type on the Coco, uh, chick the keyboard. And so I've got a, 
pretty much dead vertical machine gun type of a, a typing style. <laughs> I don't type softly. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I've always touched type. I have to touch the keys to type now. <laughs> no, now you just go like, hey, Siri. I use two fingers and I still. Hello, computer. That's right. I am touching. Program the... Space Invaders. You know, now that, you know, the AI will do that for you too, right? That's I'm right. Sorry. Yeah. So I do always touch the keys. You have to. So I just yeah. say I do touch type. But, you know, we learned on manual typewriters. Sorry? We learned on manual typewriters. That was where I first learned to type at all was on a manual. You, you hit two keys at once and they jam together and get stuck. Oh, right. So it took a little pressure to uh, type. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. It talks about the sound effects. Sound effects. Yeah, they're talking basic. There's the sound and play. It's all about basic. So it goes into a fair bit of detail. But that's, uh, yeah, that, that was the article. Anyway, it was easy to find. So if anyone wants to. to did you find the Internet up, Archive or would you find it? I just did a search. I typed um, uh, Electronics Australia. February 82. Bang, there it was. There's a couple of um, amateur radio and electronic sites that have really large catalogs of magazine PDFs up. So it's not just archive.org. Yeah, I remember getting, uh, I subscribed to uh, was radio, um, radio electronics, which later changed to electronic or computer electronics and went to like electronic or, or computers now or something like that. But back in the day, yeah. I had that was subscribed to electronic. It's very reminiscent of this. And Nick, I'm just reading the ad copy here at the bottom left, and it looks like you guys didn't get it until at least the eboard came out because it says now available for immediate delivery. The Tier City 4K color computer expandable to 32K. The original version in North America was only expandable to 16K with the D boards officially. So you guys must have had about a year delay before you started selling. You started selling the later model. Yeah, maybe. Took a while to get across the ocean. Yeah, by the time it shipped there, it was upgradable to 32K. Already <laughs> so it's interesting they show this. Uh, it, this was an ad in that same magazine uh, that Tandy obviously carried out. But uh, we never sold that TV down here. So this is obviously the, the, the brochure, the standard yeah. brochure that Radio Shack had. And we just uh, used that over here. And looking at the price there, it looks like your 4K model was $599 Australian at launch. Sounds right. Ours was $549 in Canada. I think the States, the launch was $399 US for the 4K. Am I remembering right? Right. Because as Nick and I know, our dollars suck compared to yours. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good computer at the time. Like, appearance-wise, it did mix in with all the the TRS-80s of the time, the silver, you know, yeah. it looked, it looked right. So. Yeah. It's it the same color right. as a model one, model two. Yeah. And three. What was that thing you were saying before, uh, Rob, Robert? Um, there was another article on that magazine. You said. Oh, oh the, the 1600 dream. dream? <laughs> oh, the dream. Yeah. Okay. That's, I think, um, and I'll do a quick jump to that. I can quickly show that. And then we, there it is. So that's the dream 
Dream 6800, single board kit kit computer. So it's like a hex keypad. It looks like a hex keypad. It had a um a programming okay. language. Um, One what's kit. that language? What what's that language that you do games with uh, back in the day? Um, Assembly. No, <laughs> no. There was a la- there was a language uh, which was One, used like the like Infocom games. It was very basic for doing uh, graphics. Uh, oh, geez, logo. I'm trying to see if they mention it here. You mean logo? No. Or fourth? No. Like in fourth. Portrait. No, there was another language back in those days. Well, fourth was around back then. Logo would just uh, came out around 82, 81-ish, I think, for the Apple and Coco later. APL? No. Back to the first page, they were speaking generically. Did they hit it there? Um, any, oh, what have we got here? Yeah, I programmer. Yeah. Anyway, they don't seem to cover it there much. All right, well, it doesn't matter. But that's that's what the, the dream uh, computer was. So, all right. Close it now. Yep. And I think that's the show. Okay. Uh, then last thing left to do is run the outro. All right. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we we aim to please. That language I just remembered. It's called Chip Eight. Uh, Never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It had a, an interpreter built in that that uh, lets you run Chip Eight. Well, that would be cool. Yeah, so you could do a lot of well, a lot of games. Right, Rick, so- you and yeah. Uh, you got a question from Bruce Moore in the chat. If you want to respond to that, yeah, I was trying to place pick that, but by the time I could get it typed, I'll just say the original chiclet keyboard with all the little. Uh-oh. Oh, oh dear. We lost them. <laughs> and you have to tune in next week to find out the answer, Bruce. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, you, you froze you, completely up there, Rick. So you yeah. want to repeat? You lagged out there, um, Rick. Am I still here? <laughs> he doesn't okay. want you're, you're definitely losing bandwidth. You keep pausing. Yeah, so he doesn't want the original. Um... Anybody besides Ed that sells a complete drop-in keyboard? Yeah, because Rick just replaces the the switches and stuff, so you have a proper clicking keyboard, but we would use the original keys. Dave60X09 has some sorts of full replacement keyboard kind of things. Oh, that's right, Mr. Dave. Mr. Dave. 
Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We need commercial from him, don't we? I don't know it's if he normally really sells right. it per se, but for people that he knows, he will. Okay. And one last thing is, uh, Bob, what have you been working on today? Oh, that's right. You had oh. a live stream. I forgot to mention that in the news. I'm sorry. Is my mic on? Yep. yep. Okay. Zoom him up uh, there, Marky. Uh, let's see. It's like I've yeah, seen you working on something show. all day. Okay. Well, I've been working on a few little things. Right here is a uh, GBS control that uh, oh yeah the uh, dbs uh, 80 that 8200 8200 right? with the little esp module on it yeah oh. so i built this a while back and then uh one of the new members on the list on the discord rather said that they were looking for a video converter and i offered this one up so he's already paid for it so i wanted to throw it into a case and uh ready to go now cool uh, is that for the coco's rgb is it so yeah this is the rgb to vga right yeah and uh this so, cable wait, gbs 8200 or something like that yeah 6200 yeah except yeah, this has got a 8200 they replaced the controller so this, with this, a uh, uh, esp right you take an 8200 or an 8220 the difference is the 8220 has two outputs, two VGA out, which that's this one that I have back here that I use. The 8200 has a single output, and yeah, pretty straightforward. And then I'm going to put a uh, VGA to HDMI on there so that he can inject audio and have a single cable going to this TV. And the other thing, some of you may have seen this. This was mainly what I was doing on the stream. This is the Gimme, Gimme, is X. The Gimme X. And uh, basically, I put an HDMI output down here. And the same. And uh, while we're there. This is going to be replaced with just a stock S video output. So the hole can stay there. The buttons will stay there. But we'll have S video and HDMI out instead of VGA. Okay. You can see I've got the cord there. And for those who want to finish watching your live stream, because I'm assuming you're still going even while you're talking with us. Uh, it has been terminated. Oh, it has. Okay. Never mind. I did a joystick upgrade on there too. And then after that, I cut it off. But yeah, I'm going to go back and I'll do chapter markers on that so you can watch the parts you want to watch. So, what's your channel on YouTube for those who want to find it? La Coco Strangiato. I really need okay. to make like a bumper or an ad or something, but yep. there you go. yeah, I got the little VGA yeah. to HDMI adapter underneath. And of course I can't lift this up, but that, uh, basically I soldered one of these on the bottom side of the board instead of replacing the RF connector, because some people don't want to lose RF output. And personally, I kind of agree right. on modern TVs. I've I've seen the RF actually look better than composite output on a modern TV. 
I guess just how they interpret. It depends the on the upscaler. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. But, so uh, we need a end of show coconut Bob project update segment <laughs> for all of us working on the yeah. show. Because <laughs> you can't start the update at the beginning of the show because he ain't done yet. Right. Oh, and then the yeah, other I thing I did here, I forgot. I put a, uh, I told you before, I put a uh, standoff under this normally it's pretty loose it would just pull uh, if you push down there it'll pull right out of the socket more uh, in my little screwdriver go so bob when you turn this on the lights don't dim or anything do they nope oh he runs the whole thing off a of usb c yeah. <laughs> you can dim the lights with usb c have you many have you seen how many watts you can pull through that <laughs> you can probably weld <laughs> off a of usb c <laughs> So I got that little plastic standoff there. Nice. You just glue just it hot, down. Yeah, yeah, I just hot glued hot it glue. to the board. Yeah. So it's like a, a half a millimeter short, which was okay. Just left the perfect amount for the hot glue to fill in. And you've got eight mega RAM there too. Yes, sir. It's a nice, nice machine. And a hole in his gimme X. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah, why not? Drill through that sucker. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, right. I'll talk, talk to you after the show, Bob. Sure. All right. And with that, I guess we need to wake up and say goodbye. Yep. Pull the yep. plug. See you all next week. Bye. Bye. If we don't freeze Bye. first. Bye. Bye.